Hello and welcome to another edition of Turn Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again I am bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, I'm getting to converge two worlds that I love to converge. Jeff Cannonball is on the show. Wrestler, CZW, upcoming main eventer, and kind of like scene stealer in the Bloodlust Tournament of Death documentary that I've just done for Vice, but also member of many great punk bands, New Jersey DIY hardcore fixture, and finally converging a third world that I love to converge. He is a part of Best Show history. More on that in a second, but first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can hit me up at uh, my website, DamienAbraham.com. There's, you know, uh, an email address there, but more importantly, on there, da 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 da, there is a link. If you click on Taupe Live, you will be able to get tickets for the upcoming uh, East Coast excursion of Turned Out of Punk. That's right, I'm taking this show on the road to a city near you if you happen to live on the American East Coast. Uh, it's going to be my first big trip down there since the election. So that's exciting. And uh, yeah, so you click on tour, Taupe Live, and December 12th, um, the Monday, I'm going to be in the Great, at Great Scott in Alliston, Massachusetts. It's going to be a hu- uh, really fun show. Cool, cool list of guests I'm going to be getting to for that one very soon. December 13th, which is a Tuesday, the Black Cat in Washington, D.C. Some legends on that one. December 14th, the Wednesday at Johnny Brenda's in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Got some returning guests for that and some, uh, some new ones, too. And then on December the 15th, the Thursday at Rough Trade in Brooklyn, New York, I am going to be having a, uh, a bit of a party. There's going to be a lot of cool people coming out to that one, too. So it's going to be a fun little trip. Um, you can go there and buy tickets for that. Uh, tell your friends. Tell them to come on out. But, yeah, that's it. The big announcement. We are coming on tour. Going to have merch. Going to have a lot of cool stuff. Working on some... Uh, you know, I, I just did the first live one. I'm going to tell you all about that in a second. So I, I figured out some uh, some things that work, some things that didn't work. And so this this show is going to be fun. And this whole tour is going to be fun. So come out and see this live. Uh, also, if you want to find me, back to the normal uh, round of plugs. If you want to find me on social media, just hit me up at Damien on various things. You can also follow this show over on Facebook.com. It's run by my brother, Tristan Abraham Ham. Uh, you can hit him up with a message and it will get to me. Um, there is also a Tumblr page, turnitapunk.tumblr.com. We post stuff that gets sent into the show, sent into the Facebook. We'll post it on the Tumblr. You can check it out over there. And uh, that's that's it for that stuff. Uh, if you would like to support this show, the best way of doing that right now is by going over to iTunes, if you're an iTunes user, and clicking subscribe. And then even better... Even cooler, and I really appreciate every time someone does this. It's, it, it surprises me every time I, I see this. But you can go on there and rate the podcast and write a review, and that would be great. Uh, you can also see that we have a bunch of other podcasts in this little podcast family on there. Check them all out. Um, most germane to this podcast, because it contains the same content, basically, in a different form, is Turned Out of Punk Footnotes. So check out Turned Out of Punk Footnotes. It's going to be a... You know, amazing episode this week with Chris O'Toole and myself dissecting this episode. Uh, and uh, yeah, 
And so also this week, the big announcement, if you go over to vice.com, as of uh, Tuesday of this week, so if you're listening to this when this podcast came out, it's Tuesday. If you're listening to this after this podcast, like, you know, you know, after the Tuesday, just just do this. Go to vice.com and check out Bloodlust Tournament of Death. It's a documentary that uh, I, I shot with my good friend, uh, Shawnee. We went down to, um, to Townsend, Delaware for the 15th annual Tournament of Death. And for those of you who don't know what the Tournament of Death is, Tournament of Death is the biggest deathmatch wrestling tournament in the world. And if you're not familiar what deathmatch wrestling is, you will, um, well, watch that. You'll be pretty familiar. But also, um, it's kind of just pro wrestling, but it's it's amped to, to the most illogical extreme imaginable. Like, there's weapons used. Like, there's, gosh... It, it, you know, barbed wire, glass, light bulb tubes, um, Kenzans, and that is, we'll get into that in this episode, so you'll hear all about that in a minute. Um, trust me, get ready for that. Yakitori skewers, uh, like I saw, I, I saw gnarly, gnarly things used to inflict pain on other people at the Tournament of Death. And it's, it's if you're a wrestling fan, uh, we go into enough of this in the episode, but if you're a wrestling fan, this is like wrestling at its most controversial form, you know, like a lot of wrestling fans love this. And then, uh, a lot of wrestling fans abhor this. So it's, it's one of those things that, you know, much like punk and, and more specifically hardcore, it, it is a dividing line. Like you either get it or you don't. Um, so, you know, I though think that, once you see this documentary, you'll have a different uh, understanding of it. And I strongly recommend you watch this. I'm so proud of this thing. And I'm not saying that because I'm uh, hosting it and, you know, involved in the making of it. I'm saying that as someone who enjoys watching wrestling documentaries. <laughs> it turned out awesome. Like, <laughs> wow, okay. Uh, but so go over there and check that out. But one of the most memorable scenes in that documentary is this scene with the Kenzan. And if you've seen it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And if you haven't seen it, you remember this moment because once you see it, you cannot go back. Um, and that features a wrestler by the name of Jeff Cannonball. And so Jeff Cannonball is a wrestler based out of New Jersey that I met when we were down there filming this thing. And we go into the whole story about how I met him in the podcast. So I'm not going to redo the whole thing, but this is he's per he's perfect for this podcast. Like there's very few people that match up so perfectly with this podcast. Cause like when I first, if I were just to see him wrestle in a death match, I would have a very uh, different opinion of him than I do having met him. And so I really wanted to kind of get that across to everyone that how, how awesome of a person this guy is. Cause you're going to see him in one light in this documentary, but he is a, a straight edge vegan friend of Tom who, you know, like has been in DIY hardcore bands, you know, like put out records on tons of awesome labels, you know, even deranged records, uh, with one of his bands. So this is the, you know, this is why we do this show. This is why we do it. This is why we all are part of this thing because we get once in a while, we get an opportunity to see someone from one world Yes, it happens to be wrestling a lot with this podcast, I admit that, who has this completely other world that they're a part of. So 
enjoy this one uh, because I certainly enjoy doing it. Uh, I do have some corrections. Number one, I don't know the, what the fuck I was talking about with the WrestleMania stuff in this thing. I'm, I'm confusing so many WrestleMania things. Uh, WrestleMania 8 is when Warrior saves Hogan. Uh, Caesar Palace was 9. Uh, Trump has nothing to do with Caesar's Palace, so I don't know what I was alluding to there. Maybe I was thinking Trump as Caesar. Maybe that's what I was making an allusion to, like in a, you know, like a, here's this, you know, oligarch. I don't know. I don't know what the fuck I was on. So uh, uh, just, you know, listen through that section. And uh, also, I also really screw up the uh, dead, uh, sorry, the, uh, the tear it up down in flames band member shared history, but it's John Devlin that was in both. Uh, and there are, you know, they, uh, it, it, it's confusing, but don't worry. I'm sure we'll get on that in footnotes. I, I kind of think, uh, Dave will write it in. Um, and, uh, yeah. And also that thing about Iron Maiden that I bring up, it was actually Frank Turner that first told me about that on this podcast. And I have subsequently gone back and watched that interview. So I all full credit where credit is due on that Frank Turner, Great episode, by the way. Go back and listen to it if you haven't. But he was the one who first brought up that quote, and you'll hear that quote soon if you're not familiar with it. Uh, and that's about it. Ah, shit. You know, I should give it like a live breakdown thing too. Yeah, I'm going to do that before I let you listen to this podcast. Sorry, everyone. Uh, so uh, last week at Sound on Sound uh, Music Festival, I got to do a live Turned Out a Punk. We're going to be airing that really soon on here. It turned out amazing. Uh, <laughs> I'm not saying that because of me. I'm saying that because David up, uh, Dave Ackerman, of course, a friend of the show, been on quite a bit, uh, at this point and will be on quite a bit more and regular contributor to the footnotes podcast. So check out the footnote, turn it up on footnotes. Uh, also I got to thank Dave from culture abuse. I got to thank Chris from Mets and I got to thank my buddy MVP. Uh, Dave will be on the show. Uh, we're going to do like culture abuse. If you are not familiar with this band, they are like one of the greatest bands going, I think right now they are fantastic. Uh, their music's incredible. And Dave was an unbelievable guest. So he will be back for his own full episode at some point. Uh, Chris of course has been on the show before and MVP has, you know, this will be, that's going to be his third appearance when that episode goes up on this thing. So him and David up kind of are in the lead or in the running for the most appearances so far on this podcast. So, yep, it's a, it's a, a race that I'm sure neither one of them really care about, but you know, I'm keeping score. I'm keeping score. So yeah, it was a lot of fun. Thanks to everyone that came out. I made t-shirts for the event and I forgot to sell them because I was too excited and I'm a lead singer in a band and that means I'm not used to having any responsibilities. So if you would like a turned out a punk t-shirt, uh, how's the best way to do this right now? Uh, I guess, let me figure it out. I'll get back to you next week. Okay. We'll, we'll do the turn out of punk. Actually, you know, I'm going to put up the t-shirts the week that we air that episode. So you can, you know, order them there. Cause I'm not going to remake these shirts again. I'm going to make some other shirts for that other tour. Don't worry. But th this design will not be remade. And they turned them amazingly. Uh, Night Owl Prince, thank you so much for rushing that. Uh, they did a, a, a incredible job with that thing. Sent me some uh, really cool pins too, from their pin company, cease and desist. Uh, including an epitaph comp pin that for some reason uh, hit me like, you know, like it was like a Wonder Years moment, like the TV show Wonder Years, not the band Wonder Years. Band Wonder Years is awesome. 
hopefully future guests. But, uh, no, this is one year's a TV show moment, you know, like the music kicks in type thing. When you're looking at this pin, you're getting hit by nostalgia, like waves of it. But anyway, I digress. You have, you have a lot of coming down from a live podcast. You got a lot of emotions happening. Um, <laughs> Uh, anyway, also Sound on Sound Music Festival. It's the people that book fun, fun, fun. What an incredibly booked festival. Certainly the most one of the most interesting festivals I've ever been in North America as far as location. It was in a Renaissance Fair um, in Texas, just outside of Austin. And it was awesome. I had such a good time. Got to see a lot of good friends, a lot of former guests, a lot of future guests. And uh, yeah, we're we're gonna we're gonna have some good times coming up in the future. And thank you again to Sound on Sound for having me down there because that was a good time, you know. I got to introduce Walter Schreifels to MVP. You know, that was the thing. Also, being down there post this Walter Zach, sorry, this MVP Zach podcast coming out, you know, there was a lot of people curious to meet this guy that was like such a big part of Zach's life. Zach lives in Austin and is a big part of the scene down there. Dracula's playing down there. He's like, you know, that's his scene. Um but, uh, yeah, so it was, it was amazing getting to introduce him to a lot of people. Um, Walter, Walter was pretty cool. Like, seeing that was, uh, you know, I don't know how cool that was for anyone else watching, but for me, combining those two pe- twin passions was a, was a pretty awesome uh, moment. And, yeah, and then I got to watch Youth of the Day with the 88 lineup. I'd never seen them. So, anyway, uh, this podcast is really recent. I just did it. So, uh, yeah, I had to rush it in because I had to – you know, get the word out about this guy and it's a great companion piece, that documentary. So everyone, please check out Tournament of Death, Bloodlust or Bloodlust Tournament of Death and also sit back, relax and enjoy the st- scene stealing, wheeling and dealing Jeff Cannonball on Turned Out a Punk. Jeff! Thank you so much for coming on the show. As I was just telling you off air, you are by far one of the ones I've been most excited to have on this thing because uh, I think, you know, like being down there shooting the Tournament of Death documentary, there's like this whole part that unfortunately didn't make the film, but we went to a show the night before and like we were filming me and I'm just like standing there. Kind of like I don't even think I had noticed your merch table at that point, and so I was just uh, like I was just standing there shooting a scene, and all of a sudden I heard Plastic Bomb start to play, and I just flipped my wig, and, and it, it was on camera the whole thing too. Uh, but yeah, Jeff, so thank you so much for coming on this show. Of course, thank you for having me. Like like I said before, like it's it's awesome to be doing it, and then. Uh, it's also kind of nerve wracking because the only other wrestlers you had on were Robbie Brookside, MVP, and then little old me. <laughs> well, so it's, it's a it's a weird feeling. Well, as MVP has said several times on his own podcast, he's kind of like wrapping up uh, his career at this point. Like, kind of like you know, he's still you know able to do amazing things and and still sure you know, but he wants to finish on a high and stuff like this. At this point, he said you know, and and Brookside is unfortunately because of a hardcore induced injury been uh <laughs> ruled out of competing in future wrestling events so i'm gonna say this you're probably my favorite professional athlete in the world it's it's very <laughs> weird to be called an, an athlete because you've <laughs> seen what i look like but, yeah but i appreciate that but jeff i've also seen what you do 
And uh, uh, there's very few athletes I know that could do what you do. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 part athlete, part kind of like circus freak show, and I kind of like that. Well, that's all. That's you know what? If all sports were like that, I would probably like sports a lot more. Oh hell yeah! Um, and also, we were going through like all the things we're going to uh, enjoy talking about today: punk and, and wrestling beforehand. And I forgot we do have a third uh, touchstone point. We are both friends of Tom. This is true. I actually, when we were talking off air, I uh, I thought that was the third one. And I thought we were three out of four, but. We are three out of four. I forgot that I, I just <laughs> like, you know what? The, the, the thought thing is one of those ones that you forget. And then when you remember someone's a secret thought, it like, oh my gosh. Like there's people out there right now. <laughs> That don't even like we're talking in code to. There's other people out there right now that we're getting very excited at the prospect of talking about the best show. But there's other people out there that don't know what we're talking about. So, you know, we're 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 both friends of Tom. We will get into that later on. Um, but Jeff, I blabbed enough already, and this is about you. <laughs> so we got to start the way I start this thing off all the time, which is, how did you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever kind of came across the genre? Sure. I've got kind of like the, uh, the, I guess the boring answer. And then I have kind of like when I got really into it answer, mm-hmm. um, the boring one is like much like wrestling. I got into punk kind of through my dad and he's not necessarily like an old punk guy or anything. He's like a classic rock guy with Led Zeppelin and, uh, the Beatles and black Sabbath and things like that, which, which is all good and all that too. But I even remember from like a young age, uh, the, the records I liked most was when he played the Ramones. Okay. Um, and then I always thought the Ramones were cool. I know he had a couple like Sex Pistols videos and stuff, so I always thought that was cool. But to me, the Ramones were always the best. Um, but like if that was like kind of all I knew for the longest time. And then summer from eighth grade going into freshman year of high school, I accident well, I ended up at a punk show because I got a flyer at a skate uh, shop. Mm-hmm which said there was also going to be like punk bands playing and the skate demo and all this going at the time I was all about skateboarding. So I went and, um, I saw my first show, which was a band. The first band I saw was a band called a thin line fading, okay. uh, which members went on to be in like down in flames and tear it up. And I want to say even something like rain Supreme or like one of those, like, uh, you know, tougher Philly style bands. Yeah. Yeah. And it was all, it was bands like that. And then, um, I can't remember who headlined. It was either American Nightmare or Shy Halud, and I left before they played because <laughs> I was 13 years old and my mom had to pick me up so we can go to my grandma's birthday. Well, I guess before we get into that show, I got to ask: Did your dad go to any shows? Do you know, or was he like, like, uh, is he is he from the New Jersey area as well? Area as well? Yeah, yeah, he he was born and raised in New Jersey and all that. Um, he's got stories about all sorts of shows, but I mean, for the most part, it's more like. He's seen Frank Zappa a ton of times. Yeah. And he's seen uh, Black Sabbath, and I don't remember, but I feel I don't think he's seen the Ramones. I feel like that's something I would have asked him more about. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he's gone to like plenty of like you know like classic rock sh- uh, shows and things like that. Okay, awesome. And so like yeah, Thin Line Fading that sounds so familiar. But who from like who from Tear It Up was in it? Uh, it was it was one of the later members, Ryan Eckert. Oh. I think he didn't join until right after nothing to nothing came out if i'm correct yeah he was also he was in dan and flames too right uh was he i don't know no, i know john De- john denville john devlin i'll get his name right yeah he was in the he was in a thin line fading and he was in down in flames okay and 
honestly, I can't remember the guy's name who went on to do Reign Supreme. Uh, I, I didn't. I never met the dude, so I, I don't remember his name as well. I thought there was. I thought I could have sworn there was like a member because this has come up on this show a couple times now, and especially on footnotes, and it's also been the source of some controversy. But there was a member of Down in Flames that uh, left, or no, didn't leave, but was in both bands for a time, and that has been uh, cited as the reason Down in Flames broke up on the show. So I was just trying to figure that out. Just because- I'm not too sure, but I'm a little bit younger than most of those dudes. So yeah. like at the time, like I didn't really know any of them. Yeah. Um, I mean, later on, like I've gotten to know plenty of them and all that, but like at the time I, I didn't know any of them like that. So I mm. wouldn't be able to really help you out. I'm sorry about no, that. Don't worry. Don't worry. That's just the nerdy shit that I'm, uh, kind of like, you know, the, the demise of certain New Jersey bands in the, in the, uh, early 2000, mid 2000s is a area of fascination <laughs> study for me. And I think that's what I'm I'm worried about, the nerdy stuff, because that's where I don't know if I can hang with you don't or, or your previous guests. <laughs> You'll be able to stomp all over me when it comes to the wrestling talk. And and, uh, uh, and <laughs> I know from conversations with you that uh, it, it gets it gets nerdy enough for this to be amazing. Um, so Fair I guess enough. I'll take it. At that show, was it like, I guess, like, what was your like, had you seen other kids like that at your high school or noticed other kids like that? I guess you're in junior high at 13, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, w- I was going from, from junior high to high school and I really, I don't know if I knew much about it existing. Um, I later found out like some of like the older kids I hung out with at the time, mm-hmm. they, they knew about stuff like that and they would like suggest me other things and all that. But at the time, like that was completely new to me because I remember going and I don't remember why some dumb 13 year old shit. I had a problem with one of my other friends then who was skateboarding. So I stayed away from the skateboarding cause I didn't want to like see him for some reason mm-hmm. and i remember watching a thin line fading and and they had x's on their hands and i was like well, this is so cool i don't know what any of this means <laughs> and then they ended with the song and i remember being a dumb little kid and i'm sure you know seeing it now i'd probably be embarrassed of my own self um going up to one of them and being like wow what was that last? like i bought their demo tape which yeah. i didn't even know at the time that cassettes were still like a thing <laughs> and I, I remember being like is the last song you guys played on this because that was awesome and I remember him looking at me and being like, no, that was a cover. And I was like, I don't even really know what that means. And yeah. so I found out it was Don't Tread on Me by the Crow Mags. And I went home and downloaded that on Napster that night. <laughs> That's awesome. I don't know why you'd be embarrassed about it. You're 13. It's not like, you know, if you're, like a, if you're like a 33-year-old self-professed hardcore kid and having that problem, that might be a, that might be something. But Fair. Fair. Um, so I guess like yeah, you went home and and downloaded this Chromex song. And was that kind of like where it began for you, as far as like the the thirst for knowledge for the stuff, or kind of the quest to find the scene? Yeah, I think so. Like I found like Chromex, and then like um, I think also that shows like probably through just being a kid asking questions, I found out like what Minor Threat was because I found out what Straight Edge was that day. Mm-hmm. And so I remember like listening to Minor Threat, and then I went to this record store town over for me, and I got the Minor Threat discography, and then. The woman there was like, oh, like, are you into punk? And I was like, I, I don't really know. And so she suggested um, Gorilla Biscuits and Dag Nasty to me. So I remember I got, I think I at least got Start Today that day as well. Wow. And so it kind of all just happened. Yeah, it kind of all happened real fast. We're like, I was like, whoa, there's this kind of music I don't really know that much about. And next thing I know, I know the Chromags <laughs> yeah. and, and Dag Nasty and Gorilla Biscuits and all that. That's amazing. So you like, <laughs> did you like completely bypass metal and pop punk? And just get, uh, like right into like legit in the cut hardcore. 
Well, no, at the, at the time, I definitely think I like, I probably had like some Slipknot CDs and things like that. So I had that, yeah. but I was never as like into it as like other people I knew. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I guess like I just kind of had like my CDs and that was what I had. And then when I found all that stuff, I fell in love with it. And then kind of like all of punk just kind of like came together for me over the next like course of probably like, two, three years. So I got into like infest at the same time that i was getting into like no effects and rancid and things like that mm-hmm. and like it kind of all just came together and so like even today like i could still listen to no effects and then put on rorschach in the same like sitting and i'll be happy oh same here buddy speaking my <laughs> language with that mix right there <laughs> um well and, and it's funny because like you know i spent like this whole weekend just like punishing people about punk and hardcore and things like that and it's like it really feels like pre, kind of pre Nirvana, and not that Nirvana mandated this, but like that, just like people's perception of this sort of stuff changed in a big way. But, you know, it wasn't uncommon for like no effects, maybe not to play with Rorschach, but certainly play with Neurosis and, and you know, and, and Descendants to play with the Melvins and things like that. Right, right. Like, like that was like just how it worked back then. Yeah, and, and I'm still like into like all that stuff. So like I like when I was playing in more like uh, like punk oriented bands, they would all make fun of me for liking like you know like Unbroken and all that stuff. But then when I was doing like a band that sounded like '90s vegan edge bands, like everybody was like, "Oh, you like that stuff?" That's like Circle Jerks. Like how old are you? And like I just like everything. And to this day, I still can listen to all that stuff and be happy with all of it. Mm-hmm. Well, you mentioned playing in bands too, and like I guess when were you already like doing like music at this point or was it the music something that came through punk uh that came through punk like i think i got, i mean my dad played bass and drums and guitar so like i kind of knew what it all was but i never like played anything mm-hmm. um and then when i got into punk around i think 14 or 15 my dad got me a bass for for my birthday and i started playing like in this you know crappy like middle school high like young high school punk band and stuff like that what was it called um uh, first we were called black coffee, which was weirdly after, after cool. the black flag song. Yeah. Yeah. But, but then we, we decided we had to be more serious cause that's what <laughs> freshmen in high school have to do. And so we changed our name to scared to death. And I remember an older punk dude that I became friends with in high school be like, no, black coffee was a cooler name. And I was like, no, you don't get it, man. <laughs> but he, he definitely got it more than I did. So what was the vibe of, uh, scared to death? Uh, and like, if I wrote the song, cause at the time, like I got into like the, like, I guess I, I guess you'd call it like, you know, old school, like the eighties stuff, like real quick. So like, if I wrote a song, it'd be super fast, 30, 40 seconds long. Mm-hmm. And if somebody else did, it might sound like rancid. And okay. so like, yeah. it was all over the place. We never did anything. I have like a basement recording somewhere. I mean, I probably couldn't even find it at this point, but yeah, it was like, you're basically like, you know, freshman high school band where it's like, we like all this stuff. We don't really know the difference. We just want to play whatever we think sounds like these bands we like. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I remember we did, we oh, did an exploited cover. That's all I really remember. Oh, uh, what's what exploited song? Uh, it, honestly, it was probably sex and violence, but yeah. I don't really remember, <laughs> yeah, of course. but being that young, it had to be that. <laughs> uh, so I guess like, yeah, where did you kind of go at this point? Like, you know, you mentioned playing like, you know, you're, you're kind of getting into everything. Like what were some of the local bands that you were, kind of gravity or get, I guess what was your next show after this skate park show oh man um I don't even remember I got really into there was a venue in Boundbrook New Jersey um which is only like probably 20-25 minutes from me 
that I can get my parents to drop me off at. It was called Hamilton Street Cafe. Mm-hmm. And I saw, you know, Tear It Up was like my favorite local band. Like when I found them, I thought that was the coolest thing I ever heard. And I, they're still one of my favorite bands. Um, I saw Tear It Up plenty of times. I saw Blind Society plenty of times, um, which I remember you discussing with Brian Gorsinger yes. on here as well. So it's weird that Blind Society has come up twice on here probably I at least. I think it even came up on the, on the Dave, uh, David Up episode. That, that, that would make sense. Too. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, I, I saw them countless times because they seem to play there all the time. Um, Didn't they was a tour? Band Kill- Sorry, I think they, I remember them touring with Tear It Up, maybe, because I remember seeing them in Toronto, and I, I couldn't imagine who I, else it would have been with. I mean, I re- like I said, like, at the time, I was younger than all these guys, yeah. and like, I wasn't really like as outgoing. But I remember thinking, like, oh, those guys are all, like, they're, like, best friends. Yeah. And so, so like, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> yeah, of course. But, Pretty much, I would go to this venue, Hamilton Street Cafe, and I'd see whatever was there. If it said punk show on the website, I would probably go, like, I remember seeing, like, World Inferno a bunch of times. Mm -hmm. And then I'd go and see, like, uh, screamo bands, like The Assistant and, uh, like, uh, I don't know if Seisha played, but bands in that that vein. Mm -hmm. And, like... I would if it said like punk or hardcore or or screamo or any of that I'd go to that show like that venue for everything because it was close enough and like I didn't really have friends in high school that were into the same kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I would always try to bring people out. It didn't always work out. So a lot of times it would just be my parents drop me off and then like go shop or something and pick me back up. Yeah. Had you had you been were you meeting kids at these shows at this point or I guess I would have come later, right? Yeah, it was, it was like on and off where like I'd get to know somebody and like we'd be cool at shows, but it, it never like not until later did it translate into like you know hanging out outside of shows and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I guess like at the same time you're probably you know are you already into wrestling at this point? Uh, I, I was very into wrestling. I was into wrestling since. Oh man, before I could remember anything, honestly, like, yeah. I used to always say that like I got into wrestling when I was like four years old, five years old. And then I remember my mom being like, no, you liked it. Like before you could even talk, <laughs> like her telling, cause my dad was into wrestling too. That's how I got into that. Yeah. And so I remember her being like, you know, if, if WWF was on, that's what you were glued to. And you were the happiest when that was on. And then when it was over, I'd be kind of bummed out or whatever. Um, so I, there was really no time where I didn't like wrestling in my life. <laughs> So I guess like yeah, what what year is this that I like you're would be thirteen in like two thousand what is that? Two thousand. Two thousand actually, yeah. So you're like kind of like right around you got to kind of like live through, you know, the attitude area era. Were you did you get into new right. ECW stuff? Were you seeing that at all in New Jersey or on TV or anything? Uh to keep going back to the one thing is I remember one day my dad being like, Oh, you gotta see this stuff that's on at like two in the morning. <laughs> It's it's not like that fake stuff. This is like my dad liked WWF. But he's like, it's not like that yeah. fake stuff. This yeah. is real. There's guys hitting each other with like frying pans. And I remember, I don't know why this is the one thing I remember. And I don't know who it was. It was probably one of the um, one of like the uh, the luchadors or something. Because somebody did a Frankensteiner off the top rope. And I remember that thinking like, that's not real. Like that can't. Be. That's impossible. <laughs> and then he started taping it for me, and I started watching, and I fell in love with ECW. But I never got to go to any of the shows, even though like. I live probably an I I grew up probably an hour from the arena. Mm-hmm. Where did you go to any uh, WWF shows? I guess at that point. Uh yeah, I went to house shows, and mm-hmm. um, my favorite thing I remember from that in the in the long line of me being a dumb little kid was I got a 
Bret Hart teddy bear. Yeah. And I remember I thought I was the coolest kid going to bed wearing the pink sunglasses <laughs> that I would take off the bear. And then the next day, my parents flipped out because they thought I had pink eye because the paint would rub off in my eyes. <laughs> oh so I just looked God. like a lunatic the next morning. <laughs> and that's something I haven't thought about in a long time, actually. Oh, oh. <laughs> I always wanted to get those glasses when you'd see Brett put them on like the kid at ringside. Oh, of course. But now that I'm like, I'm really glad I didn't. <laughs> it seems like they were. Well, I think those were different than the teddy bear, like, you know, painted sunglasses <laughs> that I would put on my dumb, sweaty head. I don't know. Do you think it's really that they're like making different types of paint? I think it's the same paint. Like, <laughs> good, good point. Uh, <laughs> I was just the only one who was wearing them to bed for some reason. Yeah, yeah. Like, who were your favorite wrestlers that uh, kind of growing up? I mean, right from the beginning, and I, I think this kind of like it's weird. Like, it kind of goes with a the theme of my life. Um, Ultimate Warrior was my number one from okay. the time I can remember to who knows when. And I think that fits with like how I got into like punk and hardcore and uh, even metal. And then, you know, later on deathmatch wrestling, because I always liked things that were just like fast and loud and, and different. And that's what the Ultimate Warrior was. He was this fucking lunatic who'd run to the ring, shaking the ropes and scream. And his promos were just him screaming, whatever. And. Even like as I'm older, it doesn't make sense. So I don't know what I thought he was saying when I was a little kid. I just probably heard screaming. I was like, "Yep, yeah, that's my guy." Mm-hmm. And so like Ultimate Warrior was always number one. Um, I was always like, I know it's cool to be like, oh, I like the heels, but I was always like, I loved Hacksaw, Jim Duggan, mm-hmm. and Warrior. I never really liked Hogan because I always thought Warrior should have been what Hogan was. Yeah, yeah. And I I remember WrestleMania six losing my mind when I saw the Warrior win. It's kind of like a Beatles Rolling Stone thing. I think if you were a little kid then, if like if you liked Hogan or Ultimate Warrior, right? Yeah, definitely. And I was I was one hundred percent Warrior. I think I was too. I remember when he came out and saved Hogan at Mania, and I just got like tears in my eyes. Like just I was right. so happy to see him uh, coming. You know, running in. I think that was at was that one at Caesar's Palace too. Oh, eerily oh, eerily appropriate tonight. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Uh, I can't remember. I, I want to say yes, though. Yeah, I remember it being outdoors, definitely. But anyway, uh, I digress. This is becoming about me again. I'm sorry, Jeff. Uh, no, you're, you're much more interesting than me, so we no, can do that. No, I'm <laughs> no not. No people will listen. Nope, trust me. They're sick <laughs> of hearing about me interjecting my life. <laughs> Don't worry. Uh, so, I, yeah, like so I guess, like, you know, at this point, you're kind of, like, getting into punk at the same point you know, uh, you're, I imagine getting a more aware of wrestling like 2000 is also kind of what's considered the end of the attitude era, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So what I get, like, were there other kids around that were into punk and wrestling is what I'm awkwardly trying um, to get at. I don't really, like, I, like, I'm trying to think of like the kids who I would try to like get into going to shows and like eventually I got a few, like go to a bunch of shows with me and stuff like that and they'd be into it or they were into it. But, like, I can remember those weren't the kids who I would talk to about wrestling. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. Like, because um, I remember, like, talking about wrestling more with, like, just random other kids in school. But they weren't really, like, the ones I'd hang out with outside except for, like, a few who I remember. Fuck, you're making me remember all these things now. <laughs> uh, me, me and this kid, Phil Marshall from my town. I don't know, whatever, like, what he's doing now. Yeah. Uh, he later he later became, you know, one of the popular kids. And I was this fat nerd. Um we, I would sleep at his house and we'd watch like WWF tapes all night. And then when we found ECW, we'd start like cutting up two by fours and then 
he his dad must have been his dad was some kind of handyman because we'd cut two by fours in half and Velcro them together, and those would be our tables so we could do ECW style matches <laughs> and things like that. But he was never into like punk or anything, so I think that was like now that I'm thinking about it, and I haven't thought about this before. Uh, they were like two completely different portions of my life, and I think once I got into punk, it's kind of like you said when the Attitude Era kind of ended, and so like I got way more into punk at that at that point, and that kind of like engulfed my life for a long time. Up until about like Eddie Guerrero died, like I was still following it, but not as close. Mm-hmm. And Eddie Guerrero was always like he was my favorite WCW guy, even though I was always a WWE WWF kid. Um, when he died, I remember being like, like I definitely like cried over wrestling that day, mm-hmm. and I got way back into wrestling immediately. Mm-hmm. And then the two just kind of coexisted in my world. And then um, a buddy of mine, Pat, and I, we were both into like the same two things, so like he's my best friend to this day and he, he he's oh he's been my best friend for a long time and he's the one person i could think of where it's like yeah we'll talk wrestling all day but then we're also gonna talk about punk and, and hardcore and all that so i get like so you, I, when did you start another band you, your first band didn't play anything other than the basements but you do get out there and eventually you and i become label mates so yes so um, leading up to that what's your next band uh, what, before we became label mates, as you say? Yes. We're not going to get the Alter Boys for a <laughs> well, while yet. Uh, maybe right, in this right, episode, right. Jeff. Maybe not. As you know, this show does move at a snail's pace. <laughs> yeah, but it, that's what makes it fun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my band after Scared to Death was called Cannonball. Okay. Uh, which now gives you the idea of where I got that name from. It's not just a thinly veiled fat joke, even though it also is a thinly veiled fat joke. Um but I started doing Cannibal. I sang for that band and we were all about like underdog and, and at the time like locking out rec- like records first became kind of a thing. Yeah. And we were all like worshiping mental and righteous jams and all those bands. Um, so we would just rip that off and we were just like a crappy version of that. And, um, what were, we got where'd see- you first see those bands? Like what was the first band in that kind of world you saw? Uh, mental. Okay. Like I got really into mental cause, um, uh, what's the first seven inch called? And you know this, oh, or is that the song off it? Uh, I think maybe it's called. You know, it's like a picture of the cover, of the eyes coming out of the brick wall. And... Yeah, like I, I remember that, but I can't remember the name. Um, but I remember that blew my mind because, like, it was like because at the time I was all about like, you know, like Tear It Up and X Files X and all these bands that just played straightforward, like super super fast. Mm-hmm. And then this band came out, and I was like, okay, this makes me like that, like you know, I guess groove sounding hardcore more like that, more like kind of moshy hardcore without being like, you know, mosh metal, whatever you want to call it. It is, um, and you know this. I just looked over at my record box. It is, and you know this. <laughs> okay. Yeah, like, I thought that was the coolest record when I first heard it, and... um Their vibe just was some... just out of control. Like, you're right, like, it's so different from... Though, I think X-Files X is, like, a super underrated band, especially that LP, oh, dude, I still so think that weird. That last LP was, like, oh. mind-blowing. And then they broke up, and I was so bummed out. That LP, um, that last LP, you're right. It's just like so. I don't know. It's it's it was going somewhere really interesting. Like, yeah, really and, I, cool. and like I liked I liked everything they did up until until that, mm-hmm. and then that came out, and it was like, holy shit, everybody should be listening to this right now. Like, wh- why isn't this the biggest thing in the world? Yeah, I felt the same. I thought way. that was the coolest thing. Yeah. Um, but also at the time, I got really into like Kill Your Idols, so I would go see them because they played New Jersey every weekend at that point. Um, or at least it felt like it, which I wasn't complaining about. 
And so like, I found a lot of bands kind of just through going to see Kill Your Idols every weekend. And that's, I'm almost positive mental I first saw opening for them. And so I got into like that kind of hardcore as well. Kill Your and Idols then, are the only reason I ever got to play CBGBs. I was at that show. You, I was definitely at that show. The tragedy yep. one? Oh. Yep. <laughs> and Mind Eraser 2, I think, too played, right? I'm almost positive they did. Yeah. And yeah. I think that was the, I think I've only seen Mind Eraser twice, actually, which is a weird thing to think about because that yeah. band's also. Um, how like that also like, yeah, just, you know, and this is going off just hints you've dropped, but like the stuff you're into, I would have thought mind eraser would have also been right up your alley. Uh, I like them a lot and I don't like, I think at the time they came out and this is going to sound so shitty of me. Um, but I was such like an elitist where I was like, that's not real power violence. And then like <laughs> later, later on I found out like, holy shit, no, this is fucking awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, cause I remember after cannonball, I did a band called black kites and that was that was the '90s vegan edge, like we want to be Endeavor and Unbroken. But I remember our drummer was all about Mind Eraser, and so he got me to give them another chance. I was like, "Holy shit, I'm an idiot!" And like, <laughs> that's where I started being like, "All right, I I, I was just an idiot." Like, because for some reason, for like after I was already into everything, including yeah. you know like Blink 182 and No Effects and all that stuff, I got like heavy into being like, "No, if it if it came out after '92, it's stupid." And so like I missed out on probably some cool stuff. And then he kind of got me to check out some things and it was like, all right, no, this is, this is awesome now. And I get it now. Um, did, did cannonball, yeah. uh, like you guys played out with any of did you guys played a lot or was it still we, mainly basement? We stuff? never, we never left New Jersey, but we did open for like, uh, we opened for like, uh, like 100 demons and champion. Okay. So if we got to play like, and those are like, you know, they're not like kind of my bands to be honest. Yeah. But like, yeah, I know like that's like that meant a lot to like other guys in the band. And, and we were all like 15, 16 years old. Mm-hmm. So like, that was real cool for us. But like, we never, I remember we never played outside of New Jersey. Um, we did one split seven inch with another band from New Jersey called this means war. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. That's all we ever did. I gotta actually. find that seven inch now. I'm gonna be on the- I definitely have a couple copies of it somewhere. I think. Wow. So I'll, I'll look for it. Oh man, it's, yeah, because I don't think that's even in your discogs. Yeah, I don't know. I think that I think nobody cares enough to put it on a discogs. <laughs> Honestly, I didn't even know I had a discogs until you just said that. Yeah, no, you've got like a you've got like a pretty complete one. Like I knew about the Alter Boy stuff and the Deranged thing, but I didn't really know that much about Black Kites. And then just right. kind of after I met you. And I was like, oh, shit, like the, like the Gary the Squirrel 7-inch thing, which we're going to get to, right. led me to that. And I was just like, oh, shit, like started putting all this stuff together. But I guess that leads into talking about Black Kite. So when did you go, like, str- like I guess you've always identified as being straight edge, right, from kind of, you found out about it, right? Oh, I yeah, assume. from the first show. Like, I remember, like, even as a kid, like, I was always the kind of one who, like, I can't really say like I was like, you know, I wasn't like a bad kid, but I wasn't like, you know, you're like, I wasn't an angel either. Mm-hmm. Um, I was kind of like a, a dumb, loud, goofy kid who got in trouble that way instead of like going out and drinking and doing drugs or whatever. Um, but I remember even as a kid, always being like, I don't get why everybody wants to drink. Like I'm having a good time. And then like at that show, finding out what straight edge meant that first show, I found out what straight edge meant. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's what I do. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I kind of was already that, I guess, and it kind of just fit into what I was already doing. And, you know, being 13, 14 years old, 
and kind of wanting to find that thing to identify with and things like that. It was like, yeah, I'm going to, I'll take this label. And now here I am at 29 years old and I'll still like call myself straight edge, even though like, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not into like much like over the top straight edge hardcore or anything like that at this point. I don't yeah. think like besides for going back to how I was, you know, an elitist asshole, you know, I love like youth of today and uniform choice and things like that. But, um, I don't know. There's not too much like straight hardcore now that I'm like way into like, cause mm. my, my, even though I like everything, my taste definitely still goes towards like the faster stuff. And I feel like a lot of those bands don't, you know, they're not all out about straight edge. Um, that's the thing about mind eraser low key. Every song's about being straight edge and, and right, hanging out with your friends, right. <laughs> but and you're right. Like it's not, uh, yeah. Like there's like periods like, but no, there's not a lot of Syrah Millets type thing right now. Right. Right. Exactly. And like, that's probably why I loved X Files X so much because mm-hmm. they were a fast band who was all about straight edge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But nice. what about veganism? Like, when did you kind of find out about that? Well, I guess it was pretty early on as well. Uh, yeah, that's all propaganda's fault. <laughs> <laughs> um, I found them at a young age, probably right around the fifteen years old. And actually, I went vegan. At, I went vegetarian at fifteen, so I probably found propaganda right there. And like, just clicking around their website as like a little impressionable kid, and and I was like, yeah, I'll try this. And so I started being vegetarian at 15. Um, at some point more recent, I went vegan for about five years. And then this is going to sound weird. And I know this is kind of dumb, but two about last year, year and a half ago, two years, I got like real depressed over a bunch of stuff going on. And instead of like turning to drinking or anything, I just started eating pizza again. <laughs> and like, not that that like cured everything. I just remember at the time being like, well, fuck it. Pizza's great. I'm just going to eat pizza now. And so I started doing that. And then, like, I gained a ton of weight. And so now I'm kind of like, yo, I've been vegan again for the past two months. I wonder, and it's been- I wonder what's like a bigger sin in the mind of Hard Carl. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I, the- I feel like, as, as, as I've heard you describe me as terrifying and all that, I still feel like I'll let you ask that one. <laughs> I'm not going to ask him. I'm not going to ask him. I'll have to ask uh, the Toronto equivalent, which is Chris Callahan, who's uh, fair enough. Who's, who's yeah, I asked remarkably. Cheap. I asked right. Yeah, I was gonna say I asked the New Jersey equivalent, which is Tom Schlatter of like the Assistant and You and I and all those bands. Yeah, and he was in Black Heights, and uh, also very chill, very cool guy. But I remember when I broke veganism, being like, oh, I and I'm fucking. I was 28 years old, 27 years old, and being like, oh no, should I tell Tom? Like, I don't know if I should tell him. And then we went out to eat together. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm not vegan anymore. I'm just vegetarian now. And he's like, oh, it's your belly. I was like, okay, cool. Like, we're still friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember having to call friends when I broke because I didn't want them to hear about it on the internet first. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, I definitely had that conversation with a couple uh, a couple edge breakers. It's, it's, a, it's an awkward think? phone call to make. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. And like... I, like I said, like I was, I mean, I didn't say this. I was always the straight edge kid who like did not give a shit. Like I was just doing it for me. Like even from a young age, like I was never like, what the fuck, you're not straight edge anymore. So like people would tell me, I'd be like, oh, okay. We still like going to go skateboard or we still going to like watch WWF or something? Like what's going on now? <laughs> but Well, yeah. that's your positive side of straight edge. Now let's hear about your more militant side. Actually, have you, have you ever hung out with Ultramantis Black? I actually haven't. Um, we've definitely like exchanged like an email or two. Yeah. And we both have like mutual friends who are like, Oh, you guys gotta meet each other. Yeah. And um but we've never we've never met or anything. He's a guy who I definitely want to wrestle, but 
like I didn't kind of start, you know, quote unquote breaking out until somewhat recently. Mm-hmm. And he started focusing on his band around the same time. Yeah. Uh, so I, I never got to do that. And like, that's something I really hope gets to happen at some point in the future. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's funny. Cause like that record is, is you know, once again, a militant straight edge vegan hardcore record. Oh yeah. In a great record animal. too. Oh, great record. I, I remember when that came out being like, holy shit, that's not what I thought this would be like. And I loved it. I heard members, I heard rumors that some members may or may not be in piss jeans as well. So that explains why they're. I've, I was going to say, I've, I've definitely heard that as well. Yeah. So I think that could explain why, uh, you know, there's, there's also, you know, an additional sonic power to Ultramantis Black. Right. Right. Um, so I, actually, do you, do you ever see those guys? Cause those guys were wrestling too in the early days of Chikara. Some of those dudes. Oh yeah. I've seen piss jeans a bunch of times. I never got to see, I know one of them. I don't think it's a secret. I know one of them was Mr. Zero in Chikara. I think he's pretty but, open uh, about that. And like, yeah, right. I, I, I thought so. Yeah, I think he's he's retired. He's he's hung up the boots, as it were. Right, so right. I think he's open about um, it. Yeah, I never. I was never like way into Chikara. Um, I've gone to a couple of their shows as I got older and stuff, and it's cool. Um, but I was always like going to CZW shows and things like that. So I never got to see him wrestle. But like I've seen Piss Jeans uh, three or four times probably. Um, I've never gotten to like hang out with them or talk to them. So like I, I have no real stories about them and wrestling and me and et cetera. Well, you know, and that's something I wanted to get into too, but cause it's on the East coast of the United States and it might uh-huh. not be as much like this now as it used to be. But I remember like when I first got back in a, like when I first like really started getting into wrestling, like mid two thousands, early two thousands, you'd see online there was such like a fanaticism around like certain organizations. Like you would be a CZW kid or an ROH kid, or you'd be a, you'd be a Chikara person, you know, like it, it, it is, was that real or is that just like the most fanatic people on the internet that act like that? No, I mean, that was definitely like a big thing. Like I remember, um, I used to go to Jersey all pro wrestling shows. Uh, I was never as into them, but they were close. So I would go to them and they were, they were good though. And I would always see a guy, and he was wearing an Erg shirt or, or um, I don't know, bands, or like Kill Your Idols, like bands like that. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, huh, that guy, like, I've probably seen him at shows before. And then next thing I knew, like, I'm playing Alter Boy shows, and I'd see him, and he's wearing Sammy Callahan shirts or Drake Younger shirts or other independent wrestling shirts. Yeah. And so I remember, like, one day I walk out, and he goes, hey, nice shirt. And I didn't realize it, cause I'm, but I'm wearing an Ultraman's black shirt. And I go, oh, you too. And he's wearing a Drake Younger shirt. And then we're both like, we've seen each other plenty of times and now like we're good friends and stuff like that. And there's definitely like, I remember going to CZW shows, um, with my buddy Pat and he'd always be like, Oh, there's the guys from, uh, like mother of mercy or some bands like that from Philly. And I didn't know that scene as well. So I'd be like, Oh, okay, that's cool. Whatever. And then like, I never was a big like message board person. Mm-hmm. Like there was like a local one in New Jersey I was into, but I was never like a Bridge Nine kid or or a VLV kid, even though I would read VLV sometimes. For and like record, I'd find you out you have to read it for the record information, Jeff. Yeah, I guess the, that's probably why I'm not a nerd enough for for your show. No, no, that's <laughs> what I'm saying. Viva La Vina was only good for people posting trade lists. I remember that's what I was oh, okay. to. I never I never posted on that, but I would read it when people would post set sales and things like that. I I don't think I ever bought. I probably bought some stuff off that. I don't really remember though. Um, but I would read like the wrestling board and stuff. And so like, there was a big, like, it seemed like out of nowhere. And this was like long after the attitude era and, and all that, 
like all of a sudden all these punks and hardcore kids got like guy hard into wrestling Mm -hmm. and not even just like indie wrestling, but they were all into WWE and stuff. But like, I thought that was cool because it's like, oh, cool. I could talk to people about both now. Finally, like Mm -hmm. I love both these things. I never understood why all these punks and, and hardcore kids didn't like wrestling because especially like you've seen like what I do with the whole death match thing. It's like, this is the fucking, this is the hardcore of pro wrestling. Mm-hmm. And so like, I never understood like why more people weren't into it or if not death matches, but like why more people weren't into like independent wrestling, because in my mind, there's nothing fucking cooler than that. Mm-hmm. Um, like if you see like a good wrestling match, I feel like everybody can appreciate it. Um, which I'm probably wrong. And I'm probably just thinking too much into it just because I like it. <laughs> but it's kind of like when I, it's like when I hear like some new record, like, and I'm like, hell why doesn't everybody like this that's how i feel when i see like a good wrestling match where it's just like my friends into the other things i like should like this and that's also and this you know i'm not trying to segue too early i hope uh but that's also how i feel about the best show where i'm like why isn't everybody as in love with this as i am yeah i think i just get this like extreme mindset on everything where i'm like everybody needs to like all of this because it's awesome and you're all missing out well, I, I like, and I, and I don't think you're wrong. Like, you know, so much of it is just about exposure, right? Like, I think Lucha Vavoom and things like that have shown that if you put wrestling in the right context for people to be like, oh, I get this now, people love it. You know, like, like, or, or, you know, like, 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 I mean, normals, not just, I mean, right, right, right. Like, people that probably don't, would never in their, a million years dream of going to see an indie wrestling show at like a community center or, or like, or, or at like a, you know, even like a, a, something that was marketed just as a straight wrestling show, but they right, would definitely right. go to a Lucha Vavoom show and, you know, get totally caught up in it because like, yeah, like being at a live wrestling thing, it's like seeing, it's like seeing live music. It's like, you know, there's something undeniable about the energy. Right. And I'm like, I'm a big fan of like going to anything like live. Like I love all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, to me, it's all, it all kind of goes to the same thing. Like. I think wrestling, especially like independent wrestling is such like a cool version of this art form that, you know, the mainstream gets it on TV and I I like the mainstream product as well. I'm not trying to like put that down, but I think the independent version is like the punk version of it. And so I'm like, there's in my mind, there's so many similarities between punk rock and a company like CZW or, or any other independent company where it's just like, this is the dirty version of that. And I think it's better because people get to do more with it than they get to on say the radio or on TV or whatever, things like that. Mm-hmm. And so like, that's why like, I feel like when I hear like, when I try to talk to like other wrestlers about punk, I'm always like, Oh man, they don't like the same stuff I do, but yeah. it's the same. Like in my mind it's all the same. Like a good record is just like a good like, indie show. It's, it's dirty. It's a little bit cheaper. Um, there's more going on at, you know, in, in some cases and things like that. And I just think it's like, they're both, such cool art forms and i don't understand why there's not more crossover mm-hmm. even though recently i feel like that has been happening and and it gets me excited about it and like i think i even told you this maybe even that tournament of death where like to me like the coolest shit is when somebody's like hey man i really like that you come out to poison idea and i'm like oh fuck yeah you know poison idea let's talk a little bit mm-hmm. that makes me more excited than like hey man i really liked your match tonight which is also like a great feeling obviously but it makes me happy when I can cross these two sections of my life. So like tournament death, I'm, I'm I'm positive. I've told you this, you know, before was like in my mind, tournament death was my, my WrestleMania. Cause I'm not going to WWE. I'm not delusional or anything like that. 
So like, I was already like having the best day of my my quote pro wrestling career, and then like all of a sudden it's like I get to talk to this other dude about like all this punk music. Like this is the <laughs> fucking best day all of a sudden. Like every like, I know I just jumped way far ahead. I'm sorry about that. No, dude, but, like, that's I, what the show think, is. Whenever things like that cross for me, it's like this is the best. I love this so much. So like when you start talking to me about Poison Idea at the the show before that, the H two O show, yeah, um, it was just like. Oh, hell yeah, I get to talk about punk. And then the next day you're there, and I'm like, oh, hell yeah, like this is even better. Like, we get to talk about this all day because that was such a long day. But yeah, no, no, well, that's the thing is like, and as you said, like, I love finding out that anyone in wrestling is into punk, you know, but there's right. like a certain type of punk, and I guess you DIY punk, you know, like just broadly termed, yeah, right. like, you know, that DIY punk hardcore, hardcore punk. Um, it, you know, there's it's it's a certain type of music, you know, like tear it up. You know, when I, when I noticed your, 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 your shirt was a tear it up shirt at first, at first I was like, what are the odds that this guy knows tear it up? I'm like, probably equal that he just saw this and stole the image, you know, like, like there's just like such an improbability because it's such a, that type of punk is like a very specific type of punk and there, there aren't a lot of us. Sure. Yeah. And then the truth is that I asked Andy Scarpula for permission. I know. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's like not only is it a, a tribute to Tear It Up, it's done with complete permission of right uh, of of the band. So that's uh, you know, and I and I like I think that's 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 kind of like the I had so much fun that day getting to jam out and just like talk with you. Like you know, obviously watching everything was also for me completely because as you said, like I've watched it on video, but there's something different when you go and see something live and right. being at a TOD live is unlike anything I've ever seen in my life. Like, uh, like oh, yeah. it's just a totally incredible experience on every level. Um, but, uh, we are now way ahead, way in the future. And I want to jump back to like, uh, sure, sure. black kites. Cause we skipped way ahead. Yeah, right. So, so Black Kites kind of forms, I guess. And what, what, where did you kind of fit in the scene of the time in New Jersey? Um, at that point, I was probably just going to like every basement show at that point. Mm-hmm. And I was like, like, I never stopped being into almost everything, pretty much. Like, I had my little elitist days, but like, I still would listen to like everything from, you know, Kill Your Idols to The Assistant and, and You and I and all those bands. And so I kind of became friends with Tom, uh, who was in The Assistant, You and I, et cetera, et cetera, and Black Heights later on. And um, we had some mutual friends um, through this other band called Is This Real, who I don't think they never did too much. They were like a Jersey Shore, heavily political band. And that's like when I got like heavy into like a lot of political punk. Mm-hmm. And so they were mutual friends with me and Tom. And then eventually Tom, I remember, was trying to start like a more straightforward hardcore band. And I wanted to do something more like what Tom is kind of known for, like the more like technical stuff. Yeah. But I, I can't play anything that well. So I was like, I want to sing for something like that. So I remember Tom was looking for that and I got in contact with him and then we kind of got together and it became, you know, like I said, it was basically just nineties straight edge, vegan, hardcore worship. Like we wanted to be Endeavor and unbroken and one Oh eight and all those bands. And so that kind of all came together and I got excited. Cause like, at the time and I'm, I'm still into it all um but that's a great when i was really really getting into like more political stuff like the the propaganda side of me was coming out even more than ever and um so like, i got excited i get to write lyrics like that and 
get to do it with somebody like Tom, who like I loved all his old bands and everything like that. Um, so that was really cool. And then that was the first band I was really in that got to like tour out a lot. Like in between Cannibal and Black Heights, I was in this real short-lived band called the Canimates, and we did one short week. We did one three-day weekend, and so like I got that little taste of touring. And then we did Black Heights, and like you know, we kind of rode Tom's coattails a little bit because he's already toured America, you know, three, four times, and I think he did like two Euro tours by that point. So like we got to do all these cool tours, and and granted, like it wasn't all just off of Tom. Um, cause we played the shows to nobody and things like that. Yeah. But I got, I got to like finally go on tour for like two straight weeks and three weeks and all that. And like meet other bands and like get to like get really into like the actual touring life, I guess, yeah. you know, nothing compared to like what, like a lot of bands do. But for me, like two weeks at a time, like this was the fucking coolest thing in the world. Well, that's and like we got to, Yeah, exactly. And then we got to go to Europe and I was like, what the fuck am I doing? I'm like, this 24 year old fucking idiot and somebody else is flying me to Europe. Like this is, it blew my mind. And like, I'll, like that was my favorite. One of my favorite things through playing music was just like getting to sit on that plane and be like, I'm doing this because of like this music that my parents are always like, Oh, it's just a bunch of screaming or that most people would say like, Oh, it's just noise. And I remember thinking that was like the wildest thing. Yeah. That's awesome. So when you went to Europe, like, like, was it just sort of like a straight DIY tour type thing? Like playing like the typical European, like youth center type shows? Oh yeah. We did a bunch of those and squats and then we played, um, Eperfest. That was the only real big big fest we got to play. I think from what I remember. That's like, that's probably Um, like for, for, you know, that for like hardcore of a certain style, that's like, that's the biggest fest in Europe. Yeah. And like, I'll be honest, like I didn't know too much about it, and so I like, read up on the past lineups. So I was like, "Holy shit, this is like a big deal!" Yeah. And then like we, we didn't get to play the day, but like Mashuga played a day, and I was like, "What? What are we doing playing on this festival? <laughs> Mashuga's playing." Who played like, your day? Uh, Comeback Kid. Yeah. Which you know, not for me. Uh, but Canada Zone. Though. I was. What's that? Canada oh yeah, Zone. yeah, definitely. And also, uh, uh, the drummer of uh, Millennial Rain was the drummer of Comeback I, Kid for a minute. I did not know that either. Uh, well, I didn't know that you shared members within Still till it just hit me during this conversation. So you're the only person I think who even knows what you just said. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Tom would be upset with that. I have to tell him about that now. Uh, well, it's Still's like, a band that's come up on this podcast before too. Um, yeah, I've noticed that too. I think, and yeah. like, I feel like I'm surprised I've never brought that up to Tom. I have to like text him tomorrow morning or something now. Yeah, yeah, but. I remember being excited about Eperfest because we got to play with Sheer Terror. And, like, oh. you know, Black Heights, if you ever hear Black Heights, like, not, like from what I described it, we're nothing like that. But yeah. I fucking love Sheer Terror. So I was so, we, I got to, we got to play with Sheer Terror and Strife that day. And both, like, everything in my head was just like, this is the coolest shit. I, I can't wait. Yeah. And uh, I actually talked to Tom about this recently. Like, I'm, I'm, I don't mosh much or anything like that. But when Strife played, I was like, I remember looking at Tom and be like, man, sometimes you just got to hit the pit. And I just went and moshed a stripe so hard and probably harder than I've done it in years and probably will ever do again. <laughs> All because I got to see these guys who I don't, who aren't even still straight edge play these straight edge songs I loved. And like when I was a young, like younger. Dude, I saw Youth of the Day play this weekend, and I'm not even straight edge. And I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen seeing a bunch of people that, well, I guess. One member of the band is probably still straight at this point. 
Um, but you know, it was right. fun. It was fun all the same. So I know I can relate. Um, I didn't mosh. Though. <laughs> oh, I'm glad. I didn't mosh. I, I, uh, I held uh, it. In. I had, I had to. They played blistered. I had to. Oh my like, yeah, of course. Um, did you talk <laughs> to Paul Barrow that day? Uh, no, I don't. I've never talked to him at all. I don't think. <clears throat> Somebody, he would have been like the best wrestling manager who never got into wrestling. Oh, a hundred percent. He would especially be good in like, and now I'm going to get nerdy on my own thing. And this is where everybody just turned the podcast off. Uh, he would have been great in like the old Puerto Rico days in the seventies mm-hmm, mm-hmm. with like, with like the Dick Murdoch's and Bruiser Brody's and stuff like that. I also see him be kind of like a baby face Captain Lou Albano type. That is true, but I think he might be too offensive to be that. Yeah, that's true. In America. But, well, <laughs> Which is why I think he fit into Puerto Rico, where they were just dropping like the end bomb all the time. Yeah, you're right. Maybe, maybe he would do better in Puerto Rico. Yeah, you're right. Than North America right now, he's he does have a a bit of a tongue on him. Um, right. Exactly. Did, did you meet him that? So did you hang out with him or talk to him? Uh, no, I definitely didn't talk to him. I probably like walked by him and went, "Oh my god, that's Paul Bear." You know, and that's about it. Yeah, we. <laughs> I think when we played, our, our merch table was beside Scarhead. I'm trying to remember on, who was on the other side, but it was just like, I could not imagine a more diverse row of bands, you know? <laughs> and, awesome. and, and it was like, you know, and I, I like, I, I have Scarhead records, you know, and stuff. So I'm like staying beside sure. Lord Isaac and I was like super stoked to see him. So it was a, uh, it was a very like fun day for me, but like that is you know, like as far as, you know, playing in a band that must've felt like kind of the, the apex, where did you go from there with black kites? Um, after the Euro tour, I think we might've like played a few more like small weekends. I don't think we, I think we didn't do anything really after that. And we kind of just broke up after a while. Um, cause before that we did a bunch of like small East coast tours and like down South a little, or no more up North and out to like the Chicago area. Mm-hmm. But I think Europe was probably the last like full, like, two three week tour we did actually um and then the drummer moved to braddock pennsylvania and he started doing uh hounds of hate and uh oh man cream the other band was called oh, cream and they're, yeah they're, yeah they're both awesome and so like he kind of moved out that way and started doing that more and uh the guitarist was kind of like working on getting his life to go to uh like upstate new york with his his new fiance who i think might just been a girlfriend at the time um so I, everybody was just kind of getting real busy and like for me like i kind of started doing more with the wrestling thing because i had started wrestling by that point um so like it was kind of like it just didn't make sense to keep doing it so like we kind of just broke up everybody on good terms and things like that and uh that was kind of it and then shortly later i started playing bass for uh or i started the altered boys with this guy ray and uh, I played bass for that, and we would just get together and write songs, and then we just kind of recruited a bunch of people and had a band. Well, what's the deal with um, uh, Ride the Fury Records? Uh, the guy I mentioned before, my best friend, Pat Garrity. Yeah. Uh, Ride the Fury was his thing. And it what started, label? he just wanted, what's that? It's a crazy, like, like you look at like the bands that he put out, it's like a, an incredible array of different oh, yeah. types of bands. He, Pat is like like he's my best friend and and some of his musical choices are are very uh they're not mine and he knows that and we've argued about that even today we argued about things and uh <laughs> but he's got an uh, ear right like he's like you know like even stuff yeah, that, I, like, that not is, isn't my style of music he's definitely picking bands that are of the top tier in their genres 
Yeah, he definitely he knows like what he likes and stuff. He he always just put out stuff that he kind of liked. Yeah, and like Ride the Fury started because he just wanted to put out a couple records, and so he he put out the first Black Heights record because like we were friends, and he was a big fan of like Tom's old bands and things like that, and and he liked what we were doing, so he put that out, and then um he did another LP for this band called Troublemaker from New Jersey, and they were very underrated. Like I thought they were awesome. I don't even and, know that. Band. Uh, after that, what's that? I don't even know that band. I gotta I gotta check them out. Yeah, I don't think they they did two seven inches and then they did an LP on Ride the Fury and I think they broke up maybe even before the record came out if I could I could be mistaken on that one, wow. um, but they're awesome and I think you'd be into them too mm-hmm. very fast like just fucking super pissed off stuff and then he just started getting into doing like cassettes and when he got to do cassettes it was cheaper on him so pretty much he's like oh I like this but I'm gonna hit them up and do a tape for him and he just started doing tapes for everybody. Mm-hmm. And I remember a lot of times it'd be like I'd be like, "Dude, why are you doing this?" And he's like, "I'm friends with them. They're cool." Like, "All right, man, whatever works for you." And then other times he would be doing tapes that like I'd be way into and nobody else would like. So it's like, "What the fuck do I know anyway?" Uh, But no, Pat's a good dude, and he just always kind of just did what he liked and stuff like that. And uh, after a while, he kind of got tired of doing the record label, so he just stopped because he only just wanted to do it when it was fun for him. (laughs) And now he's actually working on doing like enamel pins now. Okay. And, and you'll be into it because the first one he's been showing me, the first one coming out is the Shockmaster helmet. Whoa. That's <laughs> I'll hit awesome. you up when that comes out because I don't know much more about it yet, honestly. But yeah, he's been sending me pictures and stuff, and it's it's sick. That's very cool. Well, yeah, no, that's that's a pin after my own heart. To, uh, right, exactly. Um, so, yeah, we, I guess that leads in perfectly to talk about uh, wrestling. So you said you started training. When did you first start training wrestling? Uh, I started training in 2009, I want to say 2008, 2009. And I, the reason I'm kind of like, I kind of blank on that is because I was doing it for a while. And right when I got booked for like my first, like two matches, I broke my knee playing a black kite show, um, in a basement to probably about 10 kids just jumping around. And next thing my knee just pops out and, and people say I wrestling's dangerous. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I got up, I finished the set, like I stood up, walked around playing the set, like it kind of hurt, but I was good and I was walking around. And then by the end of the night, I remember I had trouble getting up the stairs. Um, I drove about 40 minutes home and I get to my driveway and, and I was living with my parents at the time and I couldn't get out of my car and I had to call my mom and be like, I think we need to go to the hospital. Like I was good. And now all of a sudden, like I sat down for a while and I can't move. Like I literally can't put any weight and turns out somehow just from jumping or like crouching or you know whatever when you're jumping around like screaming and all that stuff my kneecap popped out of place and turned to the side oh shit. and when it did that it broke part of the patella which is your actual kneecap and i tore a bunch of ligaments in the back of my knee so i i had to cancel wrestling and then or, or the matches i had to cancel the matches i had booked um which was fucking heartbreaking because that's what I was training for. I was finally going after this childhood dream, you know? And, um, then I came, I wanted to like lose some weight before I came back to wrestling. So I lost a bunch of weight, got back into it. And then I had my first match in March of 2010. And that's, that was probably like right in the middle of black heights going on. So where, who did you train with? Like, what was your, uh, like, what, what, um, like, what, I mean, like, how did you get in? How was that for approaching that whole process for you? Um, actually, I'm like, I feel like I'm just name dropping a bunch of my friends now. He'll really appreciate this because he's a big fan of the show. Uh, buddy, my name, Devin Walby. 
uh, I posted some on MySpace being like, hey, like, does anybody know anything about getting into wrestling? Because I knew nothing. And this yeah. was on like MySpace or something, like a bulletin or something. Yeah. And and I've been friends with Devin since we were like real young. And he, not like too young, but, you know, young enough. He hits me up. He goes, dude, you realize like I'm friends with a bunch of like semi-pro wrestlers, right? I was like, no, dude, I had no idea. Like, what do I do? So he put me in touch with a guy named Corey Havoc, who he's into like, he's heavy into like, a lot of fat rec bands. And so like, that was the closest I probably knew at the time to like a wrestler into punk. So that was cool to me. Yeah. And, yeah. um, that's like, definitely cool to me. If you, cause you listen to the show, Jeff, you know, that's definitely cool with me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so like I started getting in, I started going to, um, this company in New Jersey called NWS. Yeah. Super, like super carny and, and super small time stuff. And I would show up early, set up chairs, set up the ring, do whatever needed to be done. And then Corey Havoc and a guy named Nikki Oceans, mostly those two, a, a couple others, Joey Janela, who's kind of breaking out with independent wrestling. He's yeah. huge right now in yeah. the Indies. Um, they kind of all trained me. And then, like, you know, during the show, I would do security guard or do tickets or whatever needed to be done. And then at the end of the night, I'd pack up the ring and go home. And I repeated that over and over again. And eventually, um, Corey Havoc kind of told the promoter, like, hey, I think we could put him in the match, just make like, you know, a multi-man match and kind of bury, like hide me a little bit and let me do some things. And that's how I kind of got into all that, which was mind blowing to me at the time that that was even a thing I could do. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the, so that I guess from there, you know, you, you're kind of like living this double life at that point. And I know when MVP was on, he t- talked about how difficult that was, you know, like be involved in bands and also train wrestling. But like, you know, you definitely start like, you know, arguably one of your more active bands, next right like uh did what was that ever a concern or was it like easy to kind of balance for you oh well at the time i was definitely focusing more on punk and hardcore and mm-hmm. things like that um and like because wrestling when i first started um i would really only wrestle probably like once or twice a month which is not the right way to do it at all yeah um since then i've obviously have up my schedule where i'm wrestling almost every weekend if not every single weekend a couple times but yeah, like the first year or two, I was only probably wrestling once a month. So like punk and hardcore definitely took precedence. And then uh, Altered Boys started and like we were doing tours and we were doing plenty of things like that. And it was getting busy and like I kind of was able to juggle them. I wrestled out of state a couple times with that, but I was I was really focusing more on Altered Boys. And then once that broke up, it was like, all right, I'm going to put everything into wrestling. And that's 100 percent what I did where like. Once Ultra Boys was done, like, and I still, I miss playing in bands. And every once in a while, I'm like, I reach out to a few people like, hey, let's do this. But by the way, I have the worst schedule ever because wrestling is <laughs> more important to me at this point in my life. And like, it's going real well for me. So I'm going to keep doing this. So like, we can only practice on Tuesdays and then we'll never play a show. And that's, I'm not a good bandmate at this point in my life. Um, but yeah, once Ultra Boys ended, it was like full bore. Like, let me just do this fucking wrestling thing finally. Yeah. So, yeah, so when you start doing the wrestling, I guess before we get into the wrestling stuff, when did you first become aware of uh, CZW? Uh, that was probably, that was late high school. Um, actually, my, it was probably right after high school. It was early college, like 2006, 2005, 2006 yeah. is when I started getting really into it. And then 2007 is when uh, me and my buddy Pat were like, we can just go to this. And we started just going to a bunch of shows and things like that. Mm-hmm. So and the, oh, sorry, before that, though, like, I'm sorry. Go, no, 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 you go ahead. No, 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 no. I, I, I was, I thought you were done, so I was going to interject. Go on. Uh, I was just going to say, like, I got into like when I was in like 
early high school is when I started. I found out like what death matches were, um, like most people through ECW and through Cactus Jack and, and Mankind and whatever else you want to call them. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like what got me into FMW and then later Big Japan. And then eventually me and my buddy were just like, whoa, this happens in Philadelphia too. And that's how we found like CZW and, and uh, out in the Midwest, we found an IWA uh, Mid-South, mm-hmm. um, my bad. And um, so that's kind of like when we started realizing like death matches happen more than just in Japan. And they happen like now because we were always watching videos from like the late 90s and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, that's like we got into CZW because we found out they were the deathmatch company that was close to us, and we wanted to see some of that stuff live, you know. Mm-hmm. So what was the first CZW show you ever went to? Uh, it was Night of Infamy, two thousand seven. Um, only real deathmatch thing I remember there being was a barbed wire boards match. Actually, there and I think there was like some what kind of home run derby type match too earlier in the show. Um, but yeah, it was Night of Infamy. And the main event was Danny Havoc and Drake Younger versus the Naptown Dragons in the barbed wire type match. And like weird story, in in November I had I main event my first CZW show, and it's Night of Infamy against two guys that the Naptown Dragons trained. Oh wow! So it's full yeah, circle. it's all kind of come this yeah, it's this weird full circle of of weird violence. <laughs> When you first started training wrestling, was that like kind of what you want? Did you know you wanted to do that, or or was it like just you wanted to learn? Sort of. By the time I started training, I kind of like I I I, I like death matches a lot. Like I loved them at the time, but I always wanted to be that guy who could do more than just death matches. I didn't want to be just like because there's there's different kinds of death match guys, in my opinion, mm-hmm. and like some of them are guys who you only want to see do the death match stuff. But then there's some of them, like guys like like Danny Havoc and Masada and Matt Tremont, who they can they can fucking go and they can wrestle, mm-hmm. but they're so good at the deathmatch thing, and that's become like the bread and butter, and that's always what I wanted to be. So when I first started training wrestling, I wanted to do it in my opinion what was the right way, and so I didn't do my first like violent bloody thing until I think three years into wrestling, and I did a, like a couple thumbtack matches. But I didn't want to be just the deathmatch guy. And granted, like at this point, I'm much more known for that, and that's more what people want to see me do. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm still like satisfied that like I know if you put me in a wrestling match, I can do it, and I, I do it every weekend. Like I'd probably do maybe one deathmatch a month. In the summer, it picks up a little bit because that's when everybody starts booking deathmatch shows. Um, but I still wrestle like every weekend, so like I like that I can wrestle, and I don't have to just be another guy who's just gonna like go out there and swing some stuff and bleed a lot. Yeah. Like, I think that's the thing about that H2O show the night before TOD is like seeing a bunch of, you know, you guys like just be able to work something or be able to, sorry, not to steal parlance or anything, but (laughs) but like be able to do, be able to, to, to do a show where there's like, uh, you know, there's no blood, there's no swearing. Uh, there's like very family friendly, very family friendly. And then to do something that's like the complete opposite. Like, I don't know too many punk bands like or hardcore bands that could go from playing like a kid's birthday party to playing <laughs> like, you know, CBs in 19, you know, 91, right. 93, maybe, <laughs> you know, like it just. I guess- I guess that's one of the differences I didn't point out in yeah. punk and, and wrestling. Yeah. Where like if like if if there's a deathmatch wrestler who can't do that stuff, 
I kind of am like, eh, all right, you're, you're probably not the best wrestler. Mm-hmm. Um, just my like opinion. That's not what I want to see anybody do. But with Punk, it's like, I don't think I'd want to watch a band be able to play a kid's part <laughs> no. in the next day. <laughs> no, I guess that's what, but I think that's also, you know, but maybe like, you know, you build up the skill sets being in a band that you could play in another band and still know how to work a crowd in the there, same. Yeah. Maybe that's the, the similarity, Start. but, but you're right. It's like, that was, that was like the disconnect between those two nights for me as, as someone who was just a, a casual observer was, right, right. was unbelievable. What's it like, com- you know, competing in that where you're like going from one world to the complete opposite. And, you know, you say you do it at least once, one other time a month, almost every month. Right. So yeah, give or take. Yeah. Uh, I love it. Like, and I like, I can, like, like, I'll be honest with you. Like, I'm not a tough guy at all in real life. And like, I know like, you know, people who watch that vice documentary or who watch tournament death, I'm probably a, a horrifying person, but I feel like I come across on here and, and in my real life as a nice enough guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still kind of like in wrestling the way that I get perceived where like, people see the bloody stuff and then I show up to the family show and people will be like, Oh wow, you're a lot nicer than I thought. But like, I was scared of you. And then like when I wrestle, I can get into that like character. That's like, yeah, motherfucker. Like I cut myself and bleed and all this stuff, but now I'm here and I'm just going to be like this badass like ass kicker. Yeah. And like, I like that stigma that kind of comes along with it. As long as it's not the stigma of, Oh, deathmatch guys can't wrestle. They can only bleed, which is a huge stigma. And I disagree with it entirely mm-hmm. but um like i i like being able to go from one to the next because i i want to be a, a versatile performer i don't want to just be a one trick pony kind of deal and just a guy who's going to get hit with a bunch of glass and light tubes um i like that i can go and like i'll do comedy matches like i've done a couple shows that were like super charity shows super like not even pg rated just like straight up like g rating like made for kids and i'll just do straight up comedy matches and i love doing that stuff too but then at like that H2O show, I wrestled a guy named Tony Deppen, who I think is like phenomenal at just straight technical wrestling, just putting together a good match. And I thought we had a, a killer match mm-hmm. that day. Mm-hmm. And then the next day I went to Tournament of Death and me and Matt Tremont attempted to kill each other. And like, I like that I could do all of that stuff. And I like, like knowing in my mind that like some people might only see me as like this death match guy, but I know I can do other things. Yeah. Well, like that, I, I, so do I. And I think that's, you know, uh, as a wrestling fan, I think watching, you know, TOD specifically, but you know, it goes for a lot of deathmatch stuff, but like when you see people that are really good at it, it's, it's great wrestling, you know, like the promo right. work in, in CZW is I think better than most like the quote unquote major companies or main, more mainstream companies, you know, like, the, oh, yeah, I, it's, uh, sorry. I think, no, I was just gonna say like, I, I want anybody out there who's a wrestling fan to just go and YouTube a Matt Tremont promo, and you can't tell me that he's not as good, if not better, than anybody on TV. Or Danny Havoc. And, I like I yeah, love his him promo too. Like yeah, Danny Havoc is one of my favorite promo guys too. And like he's another guy. Like you, like his promos can go from like dead serious to like almost comical. Mm-hmm. Like because he's like he's a real life like Danny Havoc in real life. And this isn't like a secret. A lot of people know this. He's a fucking genius mm-hmm. and he's a really funny dude. And like, he, he just puts it all together so well. So like his promos can be all over the place and they're so good. But in my opinion, there's, I think Matt Tremont is the best promo in wrestling right now, whether it's WWE, whether it's 
ROH or any independent or CZW, anything. I think Tremont can go toe-to-toe with anybody in a promo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I kind of like, I don't know, I, it's funny because like I went on um, Live Audio Wrestling and we did a review of TOD9. And so okay. just watching everyone's promos in between, it's like, oh, God, it's like, it's not like just now. It's like right back. There's like always been, and I, Dean Ambrose, you know, came through CZW. Oh, hell yeah. So it's like, it's always been a company that's not, it's not as simple as it's like, oh, it's backyard wrestling. It's like, it's not backyard wrestling at all. It is real right. wrestling. And that's the problem. Like deathmatch, a lot of people see deathmatch as just dudes who just bleed and cut themselves and all that stuff. But like, like you said, when it's done well, it's really good wrestling. Mm-hmm. Just like when it's done bad, it's terrible. Mm-hmm. But when when a lucha match is done bad, it's terrible. When a tactical match is done bad, it's terrible. Like, and to me, it's just another facet of wrestling, and I love it. I get if it's not your thing, but I think it's it's not fair to call it you know garbage wrestling or backyard wrestling or, or not wrestling or at all. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, it's wrestling. Like it's so subjective and like. Nobody can say what wrestling really is because, like, if anybody, if you want to just watch wrestling, you'd be at high school amateur matches all the time, and nobody pays to go see that stuff. Yeah. Um, and like, I'm sorry to kind of go on this big tear of this stuff or of this kind of rant, but like, Dude, in my I opinion, love it. Like, go, go. <laughs> uh, but yeah, in my opinion, like, wrestling is all about entertaining, and if somebody wants death matches to entertain them, good. Like here's some stuff for them. If they want comedy, here's guys like Greg excellent and Dick justice for them. And Mm -hmm. there's different things for everybody in wrestling. And that's, I think another reason why I'm like more people should be into independent wrestling because you can find all of these. Mm -hmm. I just don't think it's fair to say something isn't wrestling. And while I was doing that rant, I was trying to find a way to bring it back to punk, but I can't really figure out a way. I'm sorry. <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> no, I get, well, I, I don't know. I, I guess it's kind of like, it's funny. Cause I had this conversation with a friend who's who's a wrestler, and you know, I told him I was working on this project, like when I first started working on the doc. And, right. And and he and he's like, you know, you know, a, a, a mainstream kind of wrestler, and he was like, uh, I don't I don't like that stuff. That's that's to me is is garbage wrestling. And I kind of and I said to him like, you know, I remember seeing this interview with Bruce Dickinson from Iron Maiden, and he said in this interview, he's like, uh, you like you look at punk and these guys that were playing punk music and to us that was disgusting like we just dismissed it out of hand because like these were guys that just showed up and and just and just played in their street clothes and they didn't like we were working forever learning these chords and we put something into the show and blah, blah blah and i'm like that to me is is completely analogous for for this he's like i'm like you're like the the rush of of wrestling but there's got to be room for the agnostic fronts I could agree with that. I love and that he conceded analogy. the point. He conceded the point. So uh, <laughs> there you go. So I think it, you know it does work. So let's we brought it back to punk right there, Jeff. There you go. Thank you very much for doing that for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know, when also bringing it back to punk, you come out to Poison Idea. Uh, what what was like the entrance music process like for you, or what? Which ones have you also used? Because I imagine like um, you're, you're such a deep head that it, that to me is like the ultimate fantasy is picking out your entrance music. <laughs> uh, Poison Idea is probably the deepest I kind of have. Like my first music ever was River Runs Red by Life of Agony. Cause I was trying to find something that 
because I was only doing family shows. So I, yeah. I made, I wanted to find something that doesn't curse. Yeah. Um, and it's somewhat, you know, you could kind of make out like what's going on and it wasn't 45 seconds long. So yeah. I came out to river runs red for a while and I love doing that. And then, um, I did, uh, I don't know if there was anything between that, but then I started using malfunction by the crow mags. And the reason for that was because I was wrestling at the gathering of the juggalos, uh, and I don't know if you're familiar with Kevin Gill at all. Yep. Um, if not, yeah, I was gonna say, I think you, you should get him on here. He'd be I know, fucking I'd love awesome to, for I'd this. Love, I'm a, I'm a big fan of his podcast and like, uh, oh yeah, his podcast. I, I tell everybody to listen to his podcast and this podcast. Like they're my favorites and not to like nerd out on you on your own show, but like I, that's legit. Like I recommend you two to everybody. Well, that's awesome. And I think you, good company, you need man. to. Uh, yeah, definitely. You got to get him on here because he could definitely tell some stories of like the old New York hardcore days. Absolutely. But now he books wrestling at the Gathering of the Juggalos, and he's like real deep into that scene. But um, which I was to me is like gather- fascinating because he's the bridge, you know. Oh hell yeah! And also, and, and- I've also have, sorry. Uh, now, now this is where I'm going to nerd out to you on your episode of my show. Unfortunately, um, <laughs> but <laughs> have you ever ever seen old footage of Ringworm? Uh, I'm sure I have. Like where they have like makeup on, where like the human furnace is wearing like face paint. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I know what you're talking about. I kind of wonder if that's what the insane clown posse saw and was the (laughs) basis for their clown paint. Cause it reminded, it looks weirdly like it. I'm like, it would have been like Midwest maybe. I don't know. Not that I'm saying those guys are punk or hardcore guys, but. Right. Right. I would love to hear you talk to Kevin about that. And ask him because he would have some insight. I don't think that is the basis. I don't think. But so I would either. love to hear. I would love to hear that conversation, though. But Jeff, uh, how sick would it be if that were oh, that'd the be case? Incredible. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> but like because of Kevin and I, I've kind of found this bridge like between punk and and like I know people are gonna be mad at me. But there's a there's a, a similarities between punk and the fucking juggalos, mm-hmm. and like I'm not a juggalo, and like I've tried to listen to them after that, after seeing how cool that ICP and Kev and all of them have treated me. It's not for me. Mm-hmm. But I homies is a like, sick I've, song though, right? Homies. Oh fuck yeah! That's like that's, that's a great song. That song's <laughs> like, killer. That song is there's, awesome. There's a there's a couple songs where I'll give it to them, but overall it's not for me. Yeah, okay. But I was wrestling at the gathering, and Kevin Gill was like, "What do you come out to?" And I go, "Poison Idea." Or no, at the, yeah, at the time I started coming out to Poison Idea, he goes, "Oh, I don't have that." He goes, "Anything else?" I go, "I can come out to like Chromax." He goes, "Let me run to my car. I'll get Age of Coral right now." So he runs to his car. He goes, "All right, I got you. Come out to Malfunction." I was like. All right, that works for me. So I did that for a while too, solely because that's what KG had in his car at the time. And um, but so like I started coming out to Malfunction for a while, and then I got back and I kept doing it for a while, and then I went back to Poison Idea because I fucking love coming out to Plastic Bomb. Uh, yeah, it's a yeah, sick one. It is like an amazing. I and I never thought of that one as like my. It wasn't one of my fantasy picks, but then when you came out to it, I'm like, oh, this is perfect. <laughs> Oh, it's a perfect song to come out to. It's not too short because that's my biggest problem. Is I need to find stuff that's not too short, mm-hmm. or or it's not too like crappy recordings. Yes. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. So like that fits perfectly where it's like dirty, but it's like you could tell there's music going on here. It's not like I'm coming out to like disclose or something. Yeah, the void demo or uh, something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so like my whole thing with picking music, especially of like the punk variety, has always just kind of been like. All right, it's got to be like long enough and not just you know blast beats going on. Yeah, yep. 
Well, you brought up Kevin Gill, and that leads into something else I wanted to talk to you about, which is, like, there is this weird, you know, like, kind of, like, energy that runs between punk and wrestling that keeps connecting it to me. Like, you know, going right back to the dictators and the bass players fanzine about pro wrestling used to do. And the the lead singer of VOM used to write about wrestling for Rolling Stone magazine. Like, like right to, you know, kind of, you know, burning spirits, like being named after a Bruiser Brody quote. Right, right. And stuff. So uh, what do you, why do you think that is? Like, and how many people, I guess you, you run into it a lot, I would imagine. Well, like people who are into both? Yeah. Like, like well, I guess like people in wrestling that are punk is what I'm... Oh, uh, I mean, it, it, it bums me out because you don't run into it as much as you would hope. Um, Maybe like I don't mean me, like tear it up necessarily, but I mean like no, no, I know speaking, what you, mean. You, you know. I think... And I think it kind of goes back to, like I said before, with, like, the Ultimate Warrior, like, we just kind of had this disposition for, like, something that's, like, a little more extreme. So instead of just watching, like, football, we're going to watch dudes, like, body slam each other and, and in my case, go through panes of glass and things like that. Mm -hmm. And instead of just listening to, you know, classic rock or just, like, pop music, we're going to find stuff that's fucking loud and, and angry. Cause like wrestling is an angry thing as much as like, I don't think it makes people more violent or anything, mm-hmm. but like punk, it's, it's an angrier output. It's an angrier art form. And I think that's kind of like, there's a lot of similarities there that I think some people pick up on. So like I'll meet wrestlers all the time who like, they might not be into like what I'm into as far as punk goes, but they're into like, you know, epitaph or fat or fat wreck. And, mm-hmm. and, to them, that's still an extreme, and it is an extreme thing compared to most things. Um, so they found their two versions of some kind of extreme part of culture. And I think that's what draws a lot of people to things. And like a lot of wrestlers are fucking weirdos. And and you got to be a little weird and a little off to want to wrestle. And you have to be a little weird and a little off to be into punk. Yep. Or <laughs> at least in my opinion, I think so. Um, so like... I think that's kind of like where it kind of comes. And like, then you have the select few like me and KG and, uh, there's a dude, Mike McCarthy from Boston who wrestles, who, who has got fucking slap shot tattoos and all this stuff. And was he in um, poor excuse. Was he in a band? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He was in the poor excuse and he did for the worse after that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's probably the only other dude besides for KG who can go as deep as I think I go, uh, when it comes to punk and wrestling and, Fuck, Mike could probably go deeper than I do, even. Well, you're forgetting about um, Brookside. Well, oh yeah, of course, that was insane. Listen to him on this show. Well, I think the fallout, um, like finding out. Sorry, uh, yeah, the fallout. We'll get into the fallout in a second. Go on. <laughs> no, I think I was just gonna wrap up like where it's like you know, we're a bunch of fucking weirdos who like to fake fight each other while also getting really hurt, and we're we're a bunch of fucking weirdos who like this loud, obnoxious music that you know most people hate. Well, I want to talk about the follow from the Robbie Brookside episode and like Andy and like, you know. Oh, dude, that was the best. I know that whole story, but we'll get into it in a second. But <laughs> will you indulge me for one second, Jeff, about why I kind of think the two might be so intertwined? Okay. I, I think both of them point out the absurdity of our current human condition. You know, like hardcore and punk is very much, you know, critical of the entire idea of you know, the celebrity and the musician and the person being on the stage. And I think wrestling at the same time, but still embracing it, you know, like music, like punk is still part of pop music and, and, and stuff. So it still embraces it. Sure. And I think wrestling at the same time points out the absurdity in sports, but still embraces it and still is a sport. 
you know, but it's, but like, also it's like a, it's like a cynical take on sports in the same way punk is a cynical taste take on rock and roll or rock. Yeah. I think that's an awesome point. And that's a great point. I feel like you probably put that so much better than I ever could. (laughs) That speaks to who that speaks to who has gotten hit with a chair more times. (laughs) Well, unfortunately I've hit myself in the head with a pop can trying to emulate you guys more times than I should (laughs) have. You know, I, I, think I, was, I was probably doing that before I was getting paid to do it anyway. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't think I was getting paid when I was doing it either, Jeff, to be <laughs> honest with you. Um, but I think that the Sandman's entrance, speaking of great of entrances, uh, was inspired a lot of uh, silly moves on my part at different times. <laughs> um, but I got, yeah, I definitely want to talk about, yeah, like post that Robbie Brookside episode. You know, like, it's amazing hearing these stories about, like, you know, my friend Mark Schubert, uh, who, you know, was in Wasted Time and stuff, like, uh-huh. go, you know, finding out that Robbie's been buying records off him on Discogs and, and connecting with right. him after that, or, like, Andy from Tear It Up going to that, you guys went to that NXT show or something? Yeah, it was NXT, yeah, I went with him. It was NXT in Asbury Park, and um, I think it's his cousin, yeah. or, or I think it was his cousin who was doing, like, you know, like load in or something like that. And so Andy texted him and was like, Hey man, like I really want to meet Robbie Brookside just to talk about punk. Like I won't be annoying or whatever. So he finally gets up during like intermission and he goes back and he comes back and he's so fucking pumped. And he's like, he's like, I go like, what happened? And he's like, dude, I fucking start talking to Robbie Brookside and somehow like tear it up came up and he goes, Oh, I have that fucking split with ETA or like, he's like got the records and all this stuff. <laughs> And, like, I think next thing I know, like, Andy's sending him tear-it-up shirts in the mail. Yeah. No, <laughs> I think, like, you know, it's so funny because, like, that's the thing is, like, you know, you said Mike, you know, from A Poor Excuse and For the Worst, like, obviously Deep Head, but, like, yourself, like, that's that type of punk, you know, and Ultramantis Black, too, like. Uh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, like, Deep Roots with that guy as well. So, um, yeah, it's, I've, I've always found it, like, you know, especially once I kind of, like, you know, uh, stopped worrying and, and admitted that I loved wrestling and in, in like my early twenties, you know, and just embraced it wholeheartedly. Right. It, it's like, you know, like you're like, Oh shit. Yeah. Gordon Sully motherfuckers. That's like a whole band dedicated to pro wrestling. Right. Yeah. And I, I don't think I found them till a little bit later. And I think it was the, cause like, I, I think it was the guitars of altered boy. It was, it was a hundred percent. The guitars of altered boys. Who who showed me them, and I don't think he knew who Gordon Soley was. And yeah. I was like, "Wait, what? that's the name of this band? Like, this is fucking <laughs> awesome!" And I, and I fell in love with that right away because it was like everything I ever liked about anything. I know it's like it's like songs about murdering Eric Bischoff. It's like this, yeah. like it's it's very inside. Yeah, a bunch of like a song that references Mr. Fuji's salt. Like yeah. it was incredible. <laughs> well, it, and it's also uh, Tony to me. He had a public access show with Wedge from uh, H100s and Nine Shocks Terror that was like, okay. it was kind of like Stranglemania before there was Stranglemania. Really? Yeah, like it was I don't just... think I knew about it. Sorry, go on. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, I don't, think I, I don't think I knew about that. Yeah, it's like just them cutting uh, their own audio commentary tracks over like wrestling clips and just being like, cr- you know, crazy people. I've, I've never of seen course. it. Of course. But um, from what I've heard. That's awesome. Yeah, like it's... I, I, I got to find that. Like, that's one of those things that, you know, has to be <laughs> unearthed for the, the betterment of our community. Oh, I would love to see that. Um, 
So I, you know, I've kept you for a super long time, buddy, and I know you got to work tomorrow, and and I got to get up super early with these kids too. And uh, but I just wanted to like, I I, I want to do a part two with you, so we can do a part two at some point in the future. Um, I'm, I'm glad I wasn't. I'm glad I wasn't too boring to make you not say that to somebody for once. <laughs> there's been a couple. If you go through the archives, there's been a couple. I'm pretty sure you say it almost every episode. Almost in, in my in my head, like. I think I've thought about this like yesterday, knowing we were going to do this. Day. I was like, I'm going to be the first one. He doesn't say that too. And then I got it. So I'm just like, <laughs> no, you wouldn't have been like, the first either way. You wouldn't I, know, have. I know that I'm, I'm exaggerating <laughs> to a point, but no, like, like I told you, like in my head, like the whole time I was like, fuck, like I'm going to suck at this. Nobody wants to hear me ramble. And like, I had a great time. I hope, I hope it came across. Oh, okay. Dude, I hope people enjoy it. Oh, it's been incredible. It's been like so much fun. And I don't know why you thought, it wouldn't go well. Like I knew this would go well because uh, number one, uh, you know, I've seen you know your discogs, and number two, I, <laughs> I've seen you wrestle. So I knew this was going to be amazing. Fair. Uh, I don't know. I guess I just like despite doing that, I'm like I'm not like I'm not as cool as like past guests. You because I remember when you, we first started talking about it. I think you had like Worcester on, and I was like I can't go after that. And then, like, I'm seeing all these other people, and I'm like, where the fuck do I fit in with this? And then here we are, and I had a great time doing it. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I can't let you go, though, because uh, you've led into what I want to talk about before I let you go. Yeah, of course. John Worcester, you, my friend, have uh, been immortalized on a best show record. Um, Yeah, that was probably the coolest thing I've ever done. Well, I guess... going to Europe. (laughs) (laughs) I think I think my for me my career highlights have been all best show related and Daniel Bryan using Generation right. and music. I remember you telling me all about that. That's sick. Oosh, I, <laughs> I bring that up a lot as well. You probably heard that a couple times also on the show as well as in person. Yeah. Uh, but when did you first hear about the best show? Uh man, I was probably I might have even been in middle school at the time. Or no, I was probably a freshman. I don't know. I was really young. And they used to do that Smasher Trash, yeah. which I don't think he's done that in, in a long, long time. Oh. And uh, a buddy of mine's joke band was on that, and so like he was pushing on everybody, like, you gotta listen, you gotta listen. And I started listening, and I was like, this is a fucking weird show. And like I got into it, but like I didn't follow it. And then like later on, I got really into band? W. Maybe I heard that uh, They were called Waffle Stomper. Oh, okay. <laughs> Maybe I did Com- hear that one complete joke band and like it was funny at the time for like a bunch of young high school kids tyson and, um, was one too on one of were they really yeah i can remember like i don't know if they ever did it but i remember mike simonetti because remember he used to he used to be one of the guys that would call in yeah like, yeah and and he was like oh i got i want to put this band tyson dronicus for smash and tr- smash or trash i don't remember that i yeah. believe it but i don't but yeah, so I remember, like, listening to it and being like, this is a cool show, but, like, I didn't really follow it because, like, you know, I'm young and, like, I'm not going to listen to the radio every Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And then I, as I got older and started, like, listening to WFMU and getting into, like, the weirder side of anything audio-related, I remember listening to WFMU and I was listening to this call, and it was a worster call, obviously, and I was like, what the fuck? Like, is this <laughs> real? Like, what is going on? And then I f- kind of figured out what it was as it was going on, and then I started putting it together, like, oh, I've heard this show before. And then next thing I know, like I'm obsessed with everything that Tom Sharpling and John Worcester and everything on the best show and all that. And I've been listening ever since that. Yeah. Like it's one of those weird things that, you know, like the first time you hear it and it's always the Worcester call, like that's gotta be like, that's like like the bait on the hook. 
Uh, Definitely. Um, but yeah, like it's always that moment where you hear it for the first time, I find, or you play it for someone and they're like, is this real? Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> and I've played it for so many people. Like I'm sure you've done probably the same where it's like, that's what you put on in the band sometimes. And yep. half the band doesn't know what it is. And, or in my case, multiple times, none, nobody did. And it'd be like, wait a minute is this guy prank calling this other guy or are they in on this or like, <laughs> and nobody knows what's going on. And then next thing you know, like everybody fucking loves it. And then altered boys has a song named after the new bridge nudge, <laughs> <laughs> which is how we, which we did that. We sampled the best show. And then, um, a buddy of ours, uh, Reed used to do a show on, on WFMU called the store Jersey city. Mm-hmm. And so he got the record to Tom and next thing I know, Tom's emailing me asking if we want to play the music for the hardcore side of the Gary, the squirrel seven inch, which and, is so cool. you know, yeah. And I was going to say, like, I know like, you know, being into punk and stuff, you're not supposed to have like this celebrity worship. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I ever punished Tom and I don't think I, I got anything like that. But in my mind, I was like, holy shit, I'm doing a record with Tom Sharpling, like <laughs> the funniest man to ever walk the earth. Like, this is unreal to me. And like that was like my like mark out moment, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, I, and then like next thing I know, like I'm in a studio and Tom is holding a squirrel puppet, doing a parody of Minor Threat over music that I just played and recorded. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on in my life? I love this so much. How awesome is it that he used the puppet in the studio? Oh, dude. When he pulled it out, I remember having to be like, dude, I'm so glad you brought that. And he goes, I can't do the voice without it. I was like, good. I'm so happy. Like, I, we started doing, we did like, the 7-inch the has three songs that we did. Mm-hmm. And he started doing one, and it was called Squirrel in the Pit. And it's about being a squirrel just moshing in a pit. And I remember as soon as it started, seeing the puppet and him just yelling these ridiculous lyrics, I fell on the floor crying, laughing immediately. And like... That's like to this day, that had to be one of the most fun times I've ever had just recording anything. Just because, like, here I am with Tom Sharpling and a puppet, and it's as funny as anything I could ever hope it would be. Mm-hmm. Like, I, like, I don't know for you because, like, I, I'm not a stern guy, but like, I that's <laughs> the only time I can really relate to stern people is if I put it in the context of the best show. And, like, you know, I can see that, you know, like, I, I know a lot of people that are like huge stern fans, and like, it's like they, they're like, it's like a religion. Like the way they talk oh, about yeah. it, but like, you know, and I'm like, oh, like they're like, if I ever met Howard, oh my God. Like I met this guy, like Gary, the, I met Gary, the spitter and like, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> right. Gary, the spitter shook my hand. And like, these are like people that wouldn't get tripped out by anything, you know, but like, yeah. Right. Then, then I think about like how I would feel if I was in the studio with Tom and he's just fucking doing a, doing Gary, the squirrel and doing hardcore songs with me. It would be like. <laughs> It would be like how these people would feel if they got to meet Robin or Stuttering John or something. Right, right. Oh, definitely. And like, it's funny to say that because, like, even though like I get like what you're saying, I agree with you. We're still talking about them meeting Howard Stern characters, which are real people. But yet, for me and you, it's like, holy shit, that's a puppet, yeah. <laughs> which was awesome to me. Though. <laughs> I, I, it's the man with his hand up the puppet's ass, though, that we're really right. excited about seeing. <laughs> of course. <laughs> It, um, of course that's it but at the same time it was still like wait a minute that's the gary the squirrel puppet yeah that's the gary the squirrel puppet <laughs> um well i can't also let you go without talking about uh what will go down as the most memorable thing in that documentary 
which is the Kenzan, Kenzan, and uh, subsequent removal of it. Um, like, what was the first time you ever saw that used in a wrestling match? Uh, man, I'm not sure. Um, the first time I saw, actually, no, it probably was um, Nick Gage versus Abdul Kobayashi. I forget what number it was, I but it was one of the tournament of deaths. It's like it's ten or nine, I think. Right? No, yeah, no, no, no. that maybe would make. Yeah, I think it is. I feel like it was ten. Yeah, I could be wrong though, but it was one of those. And um, Nick puts the the uh, Kenzen right on top of his head and just hits it with a chair. And then couldn't get it out, and it was disgusting. And then the footage of it getting pulled out later, I couldn't actually watch. Like, I remember watching it, but, like, you know, like, through open fingers or, like, while looking away and, like, half watching. And then fast forward five, six years, and I'm the one getting it pulled out (laughs) of my head, which is an unreal thought. Because that was, like, always one of those things where I was like, I don't think I could do that. And then... I get put into this position to be in tournament death, which was a huge deal to me where I'm like, I got to do something. And then I came with the idea of doing that to myself and they were all for it. Well, um, sorry, go on. No, I, I was going to say like just the Kenzen thing is such a gross idea. Like I think a lot of people don't know what it is. It's also called like a decorative frog. Okay. And it's like this little like square, square inch and a half square, two inch, uh, metal board with a bunch of spikes on it. And I think the real use for it is you put it in the bottom of like, uh, of like vases and things like that. And you arrange like flowers, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And then all these like Japanese wrestlers started it where they were just putting it into each other and slamming each other on them. And then next thing I know, I'm like, Hey Matt, do you, Tremont, do you think it'd be cool to like, just punch it into my head? And he's a good friend. So he did it for me. <laughs> Well, you said it's like a little square bed of nails, and I've now that I've seen a lot of these and and have become quite familiar with researching them. Uh, th- there's a diverse array of shapes and sizes, and you mentioned the Kobayashi match where he had he had two little ones put in his head. You had a yeah. massive one. <laughs> like, did you get to? Did you did you know? Like when Matt bust that thing out. Were you like, oh shit, that's way bigger than the, what I thought it was going to be? Uh, oh no, I saw it. I saw it beforehand, and um, I guess at the time I didn't even think of it that way. <laughs> like in my head, it was just like, all right, this is something that's going to be gross, and this crowd will like this, so let's do this. Um, I don't remember thinking about the size of it at all, to be honest, which is probably not keeping my health in in mind. <laughs> well, and also the match goes on. For a like, you know, you, you that that moment happens. Like he puts it in your head, and then the match goes on. Were you just like at that point, like, oh my god, can this just end, or or was um, it just adrenaline beyond belief? A little bit of both. Okay. When he first put it in, I remember like you know going around so everybody could see it in my head, and um, I think he pinned me right after, and I kick out. Yeah. And I think I I said to him. Um, hey, can you please take this out? <laughs> like I said something like more polite than it should have been. Yeah. And I definitely used the word please. <laughs> and so he starts trying to do it with his teeth and with his hands. And like he can't do it. So at some point I go, fuck it, just leave it. And he punches me. And then we go back to the match. And like 
that's where I think adrenaline kicked in where I was like, fuck, I can't do anything about it. Just got to do this. So like, if I remember correctly, like we did some of the matches, like major spots after it was already stuck. In my yeah. Head. Yeah. There's like, like I'm, I'm there... pretty sure. I... Sorry. Go on. I was going to say, like, I'm pretty sure like I did the cannonball through the light tubes and, uh, we did like boxing with fucking water jugs and like all that. While I had this like little weird hat on my head. <laughs> that's, that's the thing. After a minute, you forget really what you're seeing. And it does take on a bit of a little hat on the top of your head that does not come <laughs> right. off or move <laughs> for love or money. And it's only, there's this moment where he picks you up and he, I don't know if it's like a, a running power bomb or some where he puts you onto a garbage can. Um, like on your back. Yeah, he, he, he power bombed me. Power bombed yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was just like, that looked painful. And then just like the little hats there. And you're like, oh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, and then and then I'm going to, he pins me after that. And I'm going to roll out of the ring so he could be the victor and raise his hand yeah. and all that. And I hear him go, stay in the ring, stay in the ring. And I'm like, oh, fuck, I have to do more? And like, he puts me over in front of everybody. It was like a really cool, it, yeah. for me, it was awesome. And like, Matt knows that like, I appreciate that more than, I, I appreciate everything he's done for me. And he puts me over and then I walk to the back and right through the curtain. Um, I forget if it was the EMT or one of the security guards like, keep walking. Doctor's chairs are over here. And they brought me right to the doctor's chair and then, you know, couldn't get it out. And then it took <laughs> two men with pliers and all that. <laughs> yeah. Have you gone back and watched it since the match or anything? Uh, oh yeah. Uh, what do you like the uh, removal of it? No, no, no. I mean the actual match itself. Or the, oh yeah, I've watched the match plenty of times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Well, actually, I was gonna say is uh, is 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 Ricky uh, like a punk dude at all or no? Ricky Shane. Ricky Shane Page. Yeah. Uh no, not at all. Actually. Really. Um. It's funny because a fan hit me up before Tournament of Death, and he was like, "Hey, like." is it true you're straight edge? I was like, yeah. And he goes, all right, I got something for you and Ricky. And I was like, oh, okay. I didn't know Ricky was straight edge or into punk. Yeah. So at TOD, cause I didn't really know Ricky that well. So at TOD, I'm like, Hey man, like, are you into punk? He goes, no, why? And I go, Oh, cause some fan hit me up about like us being straight edge. He goes, uh, I don't really claim straight edge. I just, he goes, I just don't, he doesn't drink. He doesn't do anything, Yeah. but he won't, he doesn't claim straight edge cause he's not into punk. And he's like, I don't, I, it's just something I don't do. Uh, and so, like, he doesn't claim strange or anything. But, yeah, like, he was confused when I was like, yeah, some fans bring something for us because we're the straight-edge ones. He's like, oh, okay. He goes, I just don't do anything. He goes, sometimes I just tell people I'm straight-edge because it's easier than going, no, I don't drink. No, I'm not an addict. No, I don't do this. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. Um, is that why you were asking about that? I didn't let you finish. I'm well, sorry. that was that. And it was also, I just noticed, like, it, you know, he's always wearing, you know, like Bob's Burger shirts or other indicators that would indicate yeah. at least a pop-punk leaning. No, yeah, I don't think he's into, like, any of that. Like, I'm not really sure what music he's into, to be honest. Um, but I've talked to him, and he's flat out told me he's not into punk. Yeah, it's funny, because there's, like, it, it, but you're, you know, bringing the straight-edge thing there, and it goes, you know, like, at least, you know, maybe it's in all of wrestling, but certainly, you know, talking to certain people backstage at TOD, the Tournament of Death, that it's like there's a lot of straight-edge dudes, and there's a lot of dudes that are not at all straight-edge. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's not, like, a lot of middle ground. <laughs> No, definitely. I agree. <laughs> like, there's some middle ground, but there's not a lot. No, there's not a lot. It just seems like you, you have to, yeah, I guess you have to pick your, your, uh, your, uh, your philosophy. Right. Like three of the guys who wrestled on that show were in a stable called the nation of intoxication. Yes. <laughs> and then, 
I'm straight edge and I'm on the show. Josh Crane is straight edge. He's on the show. And then Ricky Shane doesn't do anything. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. So yeah, like there's that. And then there's a couple other people who, you know, they have their fun and then there's the, the rare middle ground. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is it like, I guess like how, you know, like, you know, not, you know, being a straight edge person, what is the recovery like for you? Cause I imagine if you're not a straight edge person, there's a, a lot of things to help you with that recovery. <laughs> right. Um, I don't know. Like, I don't really think about it. I guess just cause like for me, like, I don't want to say it's not an option because like, I'm not like one of those people who's like, I don't know. I'm having trouble finding the words right now. It's just like, it, it's not a thought in my head. It's kind of like mm -hmm. at this point how it's like when people are like, isn't it hard being a vegetarian? It's like, no, I've been doing it for 14 years. It's just what I do. So like, it's just kind of like, I just kind of sit through it and get through it. I don't think about it to be honest. Like, I remember after the Kenzen came out, I had a weird lump on the top of my head and I couldn't stop touching it because it was weird to me. <laughs> yeah. But like, yeah, like I don't take anything like I might take some ibuprofen the night of or anything like that. But like I don't have like a regimen. I don't really have anything I do to get over it. Um, I got into using vitamin E oil recently to try to get rid of some scars that happened on my face. That I don't really want there. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's about it. Like, yeah, like but for me, like the pain, it's just kind of like, yeah, all right, this is here. I guess we'll get over this at some point. <laughs> Which, well, I, you you I, say I, you're not tough, Jeff, but you're really not doing a lot of case <laughs> for that right now. Okay. I could take a lot of pain, but I, yeah. I'm not like a tough guy. You know okay. what I mean? Like, I don't go out there and like, I don't know. I have the stigma in my head when people are like, oh, you're tough. It's like, eh, no, I'm just going to sit home and watch wrestling well, and like <laughs> go for a walk or something. You might not be violently aggressive, as, as yeah. like as a as a person but you're definitely a tough guy not a tough guy but you're definitely right so you have a toughness yeah okay I know. i'll take that yeah maybe it's supposed to be a hardcore thing where like when someone says tough you immediately think of tough guy hardcore right exactly you're like i'm, I'm not like that <laughs> exactly i want to listen to the descendants i'm not listening to like <laughs> um i can't say anything i'll get beat up or something yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> and you can take a lot myself. of pain and you can take a lot of pain so it's going to go on forever you getting beaten up <laughs> it'll be just like <laughs> so long oh, they might just exactly. tire themselves I'm... out to be honest like they just be like holy yeah, i'll shit. take that <laughs> <laughs> if they want to get tired i'll take that <laughs> oh man well dude i i really do thank you for doing this i could talk to you again all night there's like a lot of things i want to talk about we didn't even talk about our fun time <laughs> hanging out backstage at the descendant show or you know, we did get into uh, lots yeah. of stuff, but we will get to that in part two. Um, but Jeff, thank you again, my friend. Oh, thank you for having me. I had a great time. Thank you, Jeff, for coming on the show. And of course, Jeff will be back for a part two. Have no fears, buddy. You're going to be back for a part two. Uh, and, uh, yeah, uh, hopefully you'll be back for more than a part two, because there's a lot more to talk to him about that. You know, he's the, as I say, the, the perfect guest, you know, just gotta get rid of that pesky straight edge thing, mind. But, you know, apart from that, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Jeff, stay straight edge. <laughs> say, like you need me to tell you, but anyway, uh, any, thanks Jeff for coming on the show. That was good. That was awesome. And so hopefully you will check out Bloodless Tournament of Death over at vice.com. Once again, very proud of it. And, uh, Enjoy the Kenzan. Enjoy that scene because it will stay with you. Next week on the show, speaking of staying with you, we got a great one. Uh, I got to catch up with a legend. 
a legend, and I mean that <clears throat> with no hyperbole there. This is one of the people that helped invent a genre, one of the people that has written some of my favorite songs of all time, and uh, a person that has had a fascinating story. Next week on the show, Mackie from Blitz and Epic Problems joins us. Uh, Mackie, of course, was the original bass player of Blitz, and then at a, a certain point, walked away. And it is a fascinating listen. You know, of course, that's one of the other things I'm obsessed with in this world is people that are able to just walk away and just turn it off. And he's, he's, he's great. It's a good episode. So everyone, thank you very much for listening. Please, once again, go out there to DamienAbraham.com. Click on the Taupe Live tour dates or the tour Taupe Live button. And we'll be in uh, Alston, Massachusetts at The Great Scott on Monday, Tuesday, uh, December 13th at the Black Cat in Washington, D.C. Uh, sorry, December 12th will be at The Great Scott. Uh, December 14th at Johnny Brenda's in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And then on December the 15th, Thursday at Rough Trade in Brooklyn, New York. So please come on out there, buy tickets. We'll have a fun time. Um, and uh, I can't wait to see you. And that'll be fun. We'll have a great, great experience. Thank you, everyone, for tuning into the show this week. Uh, next week on the show, it's going to be a great time. See you on Footnotes. I love you. And go out there and make your own culture. Because if I'm able to do it, Barely sometimes because I'm exhausted and I got, you can hear probably my son uh, and my wife's dealing with that in the background. So I'll be go downstairs and help her out. Uh, but anyone can do this shit. You just got to find the time. But anyone can do it. All right. Thank you and see you next week. <laughs>